every major sport has their special event. The NFL has the Super Bowl. Major League Baseball has the World Series. The World Wrestling Federation has WrestleMania. WrestleMania is the biggest show by the biggest company in the entire world for sports entertainment. To a lot of fans, it's bigger than a Super Bowl. To me, it's certainly bigger than a Super Bowl. WrestleMania is called the granddaddy of them all. And you stand on the grandest stage of them all. It's that time of year when you're on the card at WrestleMania that you stand before millions of people and you stand before your peers and it lets people know that you mean something. That's the ultimate dream is that bell rings and you're standing across the ring looking at another guy and you guys are the main event at the biggest event that there is. It couldn't mean anymore. Having that spot means everything to me. WrestleMania 3 was the greatest moment of my life. 93,000 people in the Pontiac Silverdome. And I got Andre the Giant over my head and I body slammed him. The wrestling world stood in awe. WrestleMania, it's fever, man. There's really that X factor and an intangible I can't explain. You just have to feel it. It's pressure, but it's that good kind of pressure. That's an adrenaline rush every single time I step through that curtain. This is the showcase of the immortals. It's a time to shine and to take that spotlight and make it mean something. Eight months of my life was spent in, in a rehab facility, going through a lot of pain and, and hard times, all with one goal in mind, once again, getting a shot to be WWF champion, once again, having the opportunity to get in the ring and, and go to WrestleMania. This is my comeback WrestleMania. This WrestleMania, WrestleMania 18, will be the biggest WrestleMania in my entire career. Tonight, on the biggest stage of all time, this is my biggest chance to make my mark in history and to be remembered and acknowledged as one of the greatest. I'm here because I want to prove that Hulk Hogan is the Babe Ruth of the WWF and I don't want anybody else to take that spot. This match, a matchup of this magnitude, the enormity of this match uh, means so much and it would be a torch passed on to me and letting me know it's your turn, it's your time, you're the best. WrestleMania is undeniably the most magnificent. It's the biggest pedestal to be put on. It's my biggest dream, and now it's my biggest reality. God, there's no feeling that can be like that in the world. It's nothing but 100% pure adrenaline. That's what the memories of WrestleMania are made of for me. And now, WrestleMania, the showcase of the Immortals. Then we come to Matt's favourite part of the show as Molly Holly walks through the corridor. She's kind of sneaking away with her hardcore title and suddenly the, <laughs> the door, a door, is slammed into her face and it's Christian who's revealed to be the man who have done it. He then pins her for the hardcore title. Matt, over to you, you big old sexist misogynist <laughs> bastard. 
that made me look like such a twat. But this was so fucking funny. I mean, this was comedy. Just, just, you know, she just run in, can't see what's going on, bam! Slammed by the door. Okay, that's, oh, that's awful. But it was Christian's comment as well, which was just bang on. Stand back, there's a new champion coming through. I burst out laughing at that. That comment is my MVP of the night. That was so fucking funny. And Christian gets the hardcore title. I, I thought it was great. Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we turn our back on the Attitude Era and on my childhood as when this took place I had reached the age of 18, reluctantly staring into the abyss that is adulthood. A joy-filled note to get us started today and so to counterbalance that I will quote early on the 35 years of WrestleMania book which states about WrestleMania 18, the in-ring action was greater than it had ever been. Let's find out if that's true in today's review. Joining me today is first of all the Polar Bear Matt Roberts. Gentlemen, I am shocked by that fact and I can't wait to discuss it in more depth and detail. And also we've got Stephen Coriander. How are you doing, Stephen? Yeah, wonderful. I'd like some of the alcohol or drugs the person who wrote that was taking while they decided that was a fact <laughs> that they should include. Now that might be the only thing that I quote from the 35 years of WrestleMania this week because simply I did not have the time to read the entry for WrestleMania 18 prior to this recording. I just managed to get the first bit done and I saw that and I thought oh, I'll just chuck that into the intro and that'll cover us that'll cover us for another week on the 35 years of Wrestlemania we didn't miss it one thing we did miss from last week's or not last week's but the last Wrestlemania we did Wrestlemania 17 is there was no fucking America the Beautiful what is that about <laughs> and to be honest I didn't mention it because we were in such a joyous mood about how good it was that I thought that would just bring everybody down but that should have been another notch of rating down for me if I'd have, if I'd have remembered it last week and we don't get it on this one either so I'm pretty much pissed off we had something absolutely dreadful its place and we'll get to that i'm sure because matt obviously likes it because they're a kerrang band basically matt's got no filter anything that's on kerrang he loves it doesn't matter if it's shit or not do you know what i would have bet my limited life savings that there was america the beautiful at wrestlemania 17 so did it did it happen and it was cut out or was my memory bad i don't think it happened i don't know i mean it certainly wasn't on the network version it may have been cut out but let me have a quick look on the uh let me have a quick look on the old internet just to see whether or not wrestlemania 17 had a American Beautiful. I don't think it did, but who knows? Yeah, it's a long time ago, isn't it? Memory is is fading. Oh, I don't know. All you get is like the best America the Beautiful articles in WrestleMania history. The only the only reason I said that is I got told to stack. I got r slash told to sit down and i thought it was during america the end of america the beautiful but i I could be wrong about that so i am past my best memory wise these days you are correct there was america the beautiful resume 17 i'm just looking at now kerry hilson don't know who that is and she was my no i'm looking at the wrong fucking thing hang on (laughs) hang on no that was 27 not 17 that's me badly translating roman numerals right there kerry hilson was 12 for resume 17 (laughs) i could Uh, be wrong about it i I may well i may have just been the in 
introductions, but... There's no WrestleMania 17 on the ranking by Bleacher Report of every America the Beautiful. To be honest, I think at this point, I'm just done with America the Beautiful as a tradition <laughs> because I said Bleacher Report have done a ranking of every America the Beautiful, right? And it's only got 18 entries. There have been 39 WrestleManias and there's only 18 entries. So there ain't no fucking tradition is there. It's basically no. a lie. It's all it's all built on sand. I know a couple of years it was, you know, oh Canada and we've had also the American National Anthem too a couple of times. But yeah, I'm done with it. We're not going to talk about it ever again unless it comes up just naturally through conversation. So guys, WrestleMania 18, as I said, I was 18 at this point and uh, moving solemnly into the world of jobs and, well, not really jobs. I went to university, so I was able to avoid that for a couple, you know, three, three more years or so. But to be honest, not a, not a point in my life that I celebrated. I was desperate to stay underneath that kind of threshold because, you know, after that, it all goes downhill, doesn't it really? What were your expectations for this one? Let's start with you, Stephen. My expectations are pretty low, actually, because I feel like I kind of know this show quite well i felt like i knew what i was going to get you know you get the big the big match and the big kind of historic moment and then everything else is kind of just there so i wasn't hugely looking forward to watching this back and i thought this is another ben stitch up in the <laughs> i get wrestlemania 18 uh rather than wrestlemania 17 so thank you again for that uh ben. Sorry, mate. that's all right well, we Sorry. Know. <laughs> you don't mention it funny we've done a little bit of jiggery pokery later on in the schedule haven't we steven where basically mm. you're going to do two in a row because yeah. you've got a surprise for people at a certain point and that the genuinely the negotiations for that was when i was talking to tom about it i was like we can't give steven wrestlemania 27 i think it was rather than what he was gonna do so <laughs> we've got to give him wrestlemania 24 it's only fair because he keeps getting the shit ones there was an example of me genuinely trying to balance things out a bit oh so much appreciated thank you matt what about you i remember this one very well this this was pretty much like the the very early days of my sort of fandom and i do remember this wrestlemania almost exactly as it was therefore my expectations are absolutely through the floor for this one if i'm honest i remembered it as a one match show and not much else going on yeah i was not looking forward to this one one bit now i was kind of looking forward to it but only really because i don't think i've watched anything but the rock hogan match since it happened so i watched obviously i watched it all at the time and then thought well there's only one thing i need to go back for and i do believe that at the time i went back to that match three or four times in the weeks after it happened and remember it being this just incredible moment this incredible thing and then as i say, i don't think i've gone back to it since then certainly not in full and even to that match i'm not sure i've gone back to since then so i'm i'm kind of like i was kind of like, quite looking forward to this because I, like, I don't know what's going to be on here i'm sure it's not going to be great and i'm sure there's nothing that's particularly memorable but it will feel quite new to me because i can't really remember anything of the rest of it because as you say coming out of it definitely there was this feeling of it being a one match show so talking points i'm going to start with you Stephen. great i'm going against all of my better judgments i'm going straight to the main event i'm going straight Wee. to straight to chris jericho so chris jericho all i've written actually in my notes is chris jericho and undisputed title and i thought just insert rant here basically so i just thought the whole way they did everything i mean you could pretty much say the whole of the summer 2001 was was pretty shockingly booked in many ways and i, I do think the steve austin not to go too far back away from wrestlemania 18 but the steve austin turn invasion is probably right up there with one of the worst booking decisions they've ever made in terms of really kind of killing I see that as the end of the Attitude Era that, at that moment uh, but anyway fast forward you, you get to Survivor Series all, you know the invasion's kind of done you've got two world champions and they just seem to be in such a rush to resolve that so instead of leading this through so there's all sorts of ways you could have done it you could have had you know the Rumble Challenger challenges for one title at 
the February pay-per-view and then they get the title together in in, uh, in March at WrestleMania. All sorts of ways of doing it. What you end up doing is this really unsatisfactory ending to the December pay-per-view of Jericho where he kind of wins in a really screwy fashion um, and then they don't really push him and he, what's he, it's Steve Austin one month and The Rock another month I think in terms of fences or maybe Triple H is, oh, I can't remember anyway, whatever. The, the, the Rumble and the February uh, defence are screwy as well. Then you get all the way through to WrestleMania you've got this terrible feud with Triple H about you know their dog and all this sort of nonsense and it's just like it's like how how did this do anyone any good like in their minds we're thinking oh we're, we're gonna we're pushing Jericho to the moon here and you know we've got this new star and we've given him a chance and stuff it's like, I just don't I just think the whole way this was booked was was really dreadful and I thought then and I still think now that this probably should have been some combination I thought Steve Austin had to be in this main event in the, in the, in the championship match and this is where they should have unified it and in the end I remember being in Skydome and looking up to the top deck about two or three minutes into this match and people were filing out because this Canadian though he wasn't from Toronto he's from Winnipeg they just didn't give a shit about him at all and this is a bit of a theme for Canadians on this show so the, the crowd was into stuff that they were they, you know during the course of this night but for this it was just such it was such a miss and then after all that after all this build up of Triple H's comeback they, they take the title off in the following month so I just thought the whole thing around the undisputed title from that December pay-per-view from the setup to that all the way through to this was, was dreadful uh, and the main event was such a miss as well I agree I mean I think I, I was looking at just on the visual of the match itself and I just instantly I was like Triple H is humongous he's probably bigger than he's ever been at this point he's absolutely mm. massive and tan to fuck and, as well that was the next thing I was going to say he's orange I mean he's so tan it's unbelievable <laughs> and then you look at Jericho and he looks like a little boy in comparison yeah. you're like there is no chance there, there just doesn't you can't hold Jericho up as a legitimate threat to Triple H in any way during this match you just kind of instantly like well it, it just doesn't do anything from a, just a visual perspective then couple that Stephen with what you were saying about the way his title run went which was just you know he was basically treated as sort of fifth tier you know above him Austin Rock Triple H Undertaker and Hogan and the yeah. NWO all coming in Jericho was just a complete afterthought the feud with him was really about Triple H and Stephanie not Triple H and Chris Jericho he just had no chance at all to look like a threat to Triple H mm. so that was a huge part of this then on top of that I think Triple H's ego gets in the way so he's not he's the kind of person much like we find at WrestleMania 25 I think we'll find where basically where a match requires a load of shortcuts a load of distractions something to get people up out of their seats because they're quite exhausted by the time they get to this match he won't do it he just turns into oh, i must i must be this wrestling machine because that's who i am and i'm good enough to carry the show to a satisfactory ending just being a wrestler and it doesn't work at all the fans aren't interested they're quiet and as you say they file out very quickly after the main event the post-match kind of celebration lasts a minute two like it's mm. very very short indeed compare that to like previous wrestlemanias i think at wrestlemania 17 austin and Vince man as heels are in the ring for like seven eight minutes yeah. after the match you know it's just it's just got no reaction whatsoever i like the idea to be honest of, of having the two belts come together at wrestlemania 18 that would have made a lot more sense to me and to be honest just chuck the rock and austin back in there in the main event against one another again with them having the two belts i know they'd already done what three four matches by this point but it's austin and the rock right i mean how many people are going to be upset you've gone back to that i mean really i mean and keep austin as a heel keep him as a heel until well, you, you can know, do that 
that's just Triple H, couldn't you? Easily, you could have easily that's done that, or keep him tweener or something, yeah, and, and have him win the win the thing. Like you said, Ben, you touch on it. This is really part one of the Triple H WrestleMania main event graveyard, and there'd be lots of ghouls and horrors still to come after this. And it's exactly nailed on what you said in terms of his attitude. And it's interesting. I suspect that if we if we go back in time, uh, what twenty one years and a few months, I wonder if Vin, if uh, Triple H was knocking on Vince's door and saying, you know what, Vince, I've come back from this injury, but if I win the title tonight, what's next for me? What do I do then? Perhaps actually what we should do is they should screw me in the main event and then perhaps I can win it next year against against Jericho. But perhaps that's just a booking idea that Triple H has <laughs> in 2023. Shouldn't we let it play out for longer, guys? Just let the story play out. Interesting enough, you talk about the celebration, Ben. It was, so this one and 25 coming out is the, is the everyone's really downbeat, got out of Skydome, freezing rain. Everyone's trudging along, like hoods pulled up and just think, we've just, if you actually forget what you've just, actually, I don't want to go too far forward about my thoughts on the whole WrestleMania but everyone was really downbeat because of this this match and it was just it was just such a such a miss and such a kind of sign of things to come with this company that just started getting more things wrong than they got right after sort of the 2001 kind of peak finished really Matt what was your thoughts what a difference a year makes and considering this was the last sort of WWF WrestleMania as well this was really something to the point was really hammered home how bad this main event was it and I tell you what I want to do very quickly actually I want to actually give a shout out to Drowning Pool for, <laughs> for actually saving us from having to see a full on screen video of the Triple H and Chris Jericho food because as we've said already it sucked it was really bad and you know just for because we didn't get to see the actual sort of you know video on screen that you know again it was during the Drowning Pool performance we didn't get to see the things to do with you know Jericho walking Stephanie's dog and picking up her shit and, and that type of stuff so thank you Drowning Pool for saving us from that is very much appreciated that this was triple h versus stephanie it had nothing chris jericho was a complete afterthought which is a just an absolute crying shame considering how talented the guy is and was at the time as well now it was so bad it was i i do you know i will say that i do think that having triple h win the title was the right thing to do coming back from his injury the reception he got at madison square garden was amazing the royal rumble was pretty much built surrounding his return and did big business so Triple H running the title all four I think that was the right thing to do but yeah you know but both of you guys pretty much said it there then is that this was the Triple H ego on show at its finest where you was thinking my god you know we need that 20-30 minute wrestling classic in the main event you know the good guy overcoming the struggles to, to win the title and it just didn't work it does happen you, you know it happens again Triple H does it a couple of times over the next decade and it just goes to show that he's not always you know the, the big brains that everybody thinks he is but you know look, looking at the match quality it was fine which, you know he's definitely not what you want for the main event of wrestlemania but it was just really misplaced and y- you could tell that the crowd sort of they did care about triple h versus stephanie you know say what you will about it they did care about those two because when triple h got the pedigree on stephanie they they did go you know i don't want to say they went nuts for it but they certainly popped for it and it was the loudest thing in the match compare that to there was a near fall where uh jericho hit the lion salt on Triple H after I think it was uh, the backdrop through the table which should have been a, a fairly heated near fall nothing crickets not a damn thing from that and yeah it, it just summed up the match it just nobody cared again you know I'll give another shout out JR God bless the man he tried he really really tried I do love the you know when he said the call at the end all the other superstars are you ready to play the game I just thought oh great call but I just didn't really buy into it and, and as Stephen said you know what a shame this title 
Del Rey went because he dropped the fucking thing the next month. Uh, or- Matt, I've just, you just reminded me of something that I've forgotten and it's just popped back into my mind. It got a lovely groan from whatever there would have been left. So after the cameras came wore off, and obviously around this time, am I right in thinking around, by this time, Triple H and Stephanie were a thing back. Yeah, they were because they got married the following year, weren't they? Yeah. So we were already in the, it, we we're already quite a bit beyond the Triple H has got Vince McMahon's ear and all that sort of stuff. And I remember on Canadian television that day, there was an interview that's still out there somewhere. You can find it on YouTube with, with Triple H and Michael Landsberg, where Triple H is just such a dick and he's slagging off Jericho and slagging off everything. He's just like, comes off as such a, just a bit of an arsehole. Anyway, he got on the, on the house mic and said, this is a message for all the boys in the back. It's time to play the game. And like, literally, all you could hear was, ugh. From the, like literally the, the <laughs> Skydome crowd just groaned you saw this dickhead guy so yeah that's like one of the last things I heard as I was coming out but you you reminded me of that with the Jim Ross call in terms of the him dropping the belt a month later I think that was probably a bit to do with Triple H realising this had been a flop and exorcising himself from it straight away as mm. soon as he possibly could I think they saw the Hogan pop and probably between Vince and, and Triple H and others they kind of went oh well maybe we should give him a nostalgia thing and Triple H probably encouraged it because he was like well you know what i can put hogan over it makes me look quite good because i put him over no one can be upset with me about it but also hogan's no threat to my position really he's not he's going to be a temporary thing this nostalgia thing in the meantime i can then get out of this title picture and eventually turn heel again because it's been a complete flop and you're right matt at madison square garden he got a huge reaction on his return it was like thunderous but it never approached that again it just never got close to that again because he's not supposed to be a baby face or at least at this point definitely wasn't supposed to be a baby face there was no stock in it at all I don't think you know and I always hate this and I really criticised WWE when Seth Rollins came back from his injury and people wanted him to be babyface straight away because he'd just come back from a big injury and I was like yeah but in the canon of WWE what's he done to make him a babyface he's still a heel the story that has been told prior to this is that he's a heel and a suck up to the the um, authority with this Triple H had been a heel before he got injured regardless of what he did to finish that match back on Raw the tag team match that's not that's not part of the canon that's not part of your on-screen story he is a bad guy he when he comes back if you want him to be a babyface he has to do something heroic and he didn't he just came back and then people were expected to cheer for him so there's no reason to to really get behind him beyond that initial return and i think that's a major you know major failing of this it's one of those really poor wrestlemania main events and i think also another part of triple h's ego probably was prevent i don't know we'll probably talk about this later on but the position of the match should it have been last should it have been come should it have come before hogan and the rock for example i don't know whether they had anticipated the reaction hogan and rock would get maybe so maybe we'll talk about that later on but in terms of in terms of if they had done i would imagine again triple h's ego shining through going well i want the main event i won the royal rumble i'm the baby face going in to win the championship so i should be on top i can only assume that that would probably be something that he would be pushing for as well i think as soon as soon as the fin as soon as the finish to hogan rock was what it was with regards to the aftermath so Hogan turning babyface essentially I think that's got to go on last so as soon as you as soon as you're in that place that has to go on last I think uh, and I think it would now I think they've learned their lesson somewhat from this you know with with the Rock and Cena at what 28 they, that went on last I think they would for something like this again now do you know what I think had they known that Hogan was going to get the reaction that he did then yes it should have gone on last but if they were expecting him to get you know the the heel reception then no I, I actually agree with them um, the Triple H Jericho match going on last well I 
I think they knew because I, I, it's difficult because what 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 Hulk Hogan says and puts out there, you can't necessarily take as being believed. But my understanding from reading things around this time was that all week the reactions to Hogan in the city were huge. Reaction to Axis was huge, and that there there is a rumor out there. And I think Hogan might say this in his book, whether it's true or not, that he flew down to Florida to get his red and yellow gear, but then they went, they decided not to not to go with that, and he came out in his NWO stuff. Now, do I believe that or not? Is that one step too far? But I think going into this night, they they kind of knew in Canada that at the very least it was going to be 50-50 or, or you know, 60-40 for Hogan rather than 90-10 or whatever it was you got. So at some point they're making the call because obviously they didn't they didn't call that in the ring to have, you know, the NWO attack him. That call has been made at some point that weekend and it's that that's the call where you say, right, this is last now. But yeah, they didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, they, they knew that he was going to get the reaction, I think, because otherwise they wouldn't have booked the babyface term. They, they'd have just, mm. they'd just left it as it was. Now, going back to this match, one, one more thing I want to talk about. Matt, you talked about Jericho and how much of a shame it was that he didn't get the focus that he, he should have got. I just think they shouldn't have put the belt on him. I don't think he was ready for the belt. I don't think he was, he was not in the same league of a star as Austin and The Rock and Triple H. He just wasn't there and he shouldn't have been, in my opinion, shouldn't have been occupying that space at that time. You know, maybe if Jericho had been champion after WrestleMania at some point through the summer, kind of established himself as a main event there, where you don't have to protect Austin and Rock and Triple H quite so much, it might have worked. But I just don't think at that point he was in the right place. And he's a talented guy, but I just don't think he was a, a star of the level that he needed to be going into WrestleMania to be champion. I just don't think he was there. Admittedly, the reign they gave him, the storyline that took place didn't help him get there. But I think you've got to almost be there before you get the belt. If you're going into WrestleMania, you've got to almost be there already. And he just wasn't. So I just don't think they should have given him the belt in the first place. And, it, you know, for me, that that kind of is summed up by the fact that his win and wins at Vengeance against The Rock and Austin, that he loves to brag about beating both of them in one night, are terrible matches. Both of them, they're just not good matches. And, you know, I think this is a criticism I've leveled at Chris Jericho before. It's why he was my figure of hate in 2021. We've in our first year of this podcast. He crumbles in the big on the big stage. He, he chokes, in my view. He's not got it. When it comes to the really big stage, he does just doesn't turn up. If he's sort of fourth or fifth from the top, he's fine. If he's in a lower level pay-per-view, he's okay. But when it comes to the really big matches where it really matters for him, it really counts for his career, he, he chokes. I think as well that it wasn't just that he got the WWF title. It, like this, this was, I remember seeing the video packages and the video things they put together for this vengeance thing. And I didn't like what they were doing, but this was a big deal. Like unifying the WCW world title and the WWF title was a huge, huge thing that needed to, they just needed to take a breath and just, take a step back for all Tony Khan's faults. Tony Khan would have had, you know, if he, if he had this scenario presented to himself in April 2001, he'd have probably had a four-year plan that he's definitely not going to deviate from to get these titles unified. But WWF took the opposite. Like, right, we're chucking this all out, chuck it all out, chuck it all out, we need to unify the titles. And this could have been, you know, one, un, one uh, you know, undisputed unified world champion. This is the first time they did, they'd done this in, in, in North America. So this would have been, this could have been a huge way to end WrestleMania. And I think what you said, Ben, is really interesting. I never really thought about that about a heel coming back as a babyface you naturally get the pop but the character's not really changed and I think that if you want them to become a babyface you put them in scenarios where they can kind of keep their character the same but they're just they're just going after someone that makes them a babyface that makes sense so with that situation triple if Steve Austin has stayed heel which you, you can argue he probably should, never should have been heel in the first place but if you've done the damage at that point then why don't you you could have him as a tweet you could easily have him a tweener so he's just get anti everyone he's fallen out of everyone he's not on either side because he's out the alliance etc some people cheer him, some people boo him, whatever. And then Triple H comes back in because they've got the thing with the the tag team stuff where Triple H was originally injured, and that's the that's the WrestleMania match. But they just felt like they wanted to make Jericho, but they didn't go they didn't go the whole way with him, and he wasn't the right person at the right time. They were desperate to get away from the invasion, right? That's yeah. why they that's 
why they they unified the titles really quickly. So like we gotta get away from this. It's not it's not worked. We just need to knock it on the head. But I think that in retrospect that was a mistake in terms of the night after Survivor Series they basically reset everything. Austin mm-hmm. went back to being a babyface. Angle went back to being a heel properly. Flair came out. The new kind of ownership structure was kind of revealed to everybody, and we're off to the races. Austin should have stayed heel because regardless of the damage being done, and you're right, he should never have gone. And we spoke about this on WrestleMania 17. He should never, you know, on that show should never have gone heel in the first place but having done it may as well stick with it now because he's not he's not going to be able to hit the same heights of popularity he did before he was a heel and what's more if WSW hadn't got been gotten rid of a Survivor Series and in fact maybe they'd even won that match Triple H could have been the guy that comes back to lead the the re-invasion of the WWE if you see what I mean from the WWE's perspective and Vince McMahon's mm-hmm. perspective and that would have made him a hero someone to get behind and they could have done it in lots of other ways my point is, is and you said it they have to give you a reason to cheer for him beyond just that he's returned and they didn't do that and wrestling does this a lot it expects you to cheer for people who were heels just because other heels have turned on them and like that doesn't that doesn't make them likable it makes them a loser as far as i'm concerned yeah like they've got to do something that makes them heroic in some way or makes you want to root for them the thing that sticks in my mind a lot about the rock when in mid 98 there was this episode of raw it was really strange it was the undertaker and kane basically came out for practically every match and beat everybody up in every match i think it was just after SummerSlam when they've been revealed to properly be in cahoots if you like and there was no big matches on it it was just all kind of like mid-card matches and then taking Kane just came out beat everybody up and there was one match where they came out and attacked D'Lo Brown who was in the nation and somebody else and D'Lo was cornered by both Undertaker and Kane and The Rock ran out to save D'Lo Brown and D'Lo Brown kind of slinked off and ran away and The Rock got beaten up for it but it was that moment when people went I really like The Rock it was because it was heroic it was like he stood up for one of his guys and he got took the beating for him basically and it was like oh actually this guy's like really great I love him and instantly after that he just became a superstar and that's such a good way of turning someone without actually explicitly turning them and I think it's been lost it's like almost like again it's one of these sort of official wrestling designations I go on about this a lot and I I find it hard to articulate but these days people tend to be in these kind of myopic feuds with people almost like an official designation of being in this feud same goes for Babyface and Hill there's almost like this oh well the wrestling rule is you have to have a turn an official turn in order to turn and you don't you don't need that you just need something to make a crumb of something to make people like someone suddenly then they become popular and, and you can build on that so for example i was thinking about this when we were talking about uh, steve austin's heel turn he was officially revealed as a heel at the end of wrestlemania 17 but actually he turned heel in the story prior to that because at some point he had to arrange with vince yeah. that this was going to happen and so again it's that kind of thing where you when did he actually turn heel in the story forget like the official kind of reveal of it and it's that kind of concept i think isn't well gotten and i think this is the problem with the triple h thing is it just there was no thing that made you like him it was just always returned so he's a babyface that's the official designation now it shouldn't have been like that it should have been he's returned and done something that makes him heroic or likable in the the eyes of the audience so we've covered the main we've covered the main event in some some detail there so matt what's your talking point do you know what i was i was gonna go with something in particular but do you know what? i have a funny feeling ben that you might want to touch on that so do you know what i think i'm gonna leave where i was gonna go with and i'm gonna go with something that might be slightly controversial but do you know what i'm gonna throw it out there and let's see what happens i'm gonna go with the four corners tag team match i'd like to talk about such a weirdo matt <laughs> did you know and the, 
they, there's a reason that I want to talk about it because I think at this point, tag team wrestling in WWE or WWF, which was the final WWF show, had peaked. Some people may agree with that. They may disagree with that. But I definitely think looking at this match, it, it almost came across as a little bit sad. You had the Hardys and the Dudleys in it. And it just felt that especially after the last two years, you know, um, you know, the triangle ladder match, the TLC2, they obviously had the TLC at SummerSlam in between that. It felt that they were really desperately trying to cling on to the tag team glory that Hardys and Dudleys and, and the magic they had had with Edge and Christian. It really felt quite sad because obviously they had APA in there. They had Billy and Chuck. Now, I'm not saying that tag team wrestling would never have good matches again. It would never feel important again because on and off, you know, they, they, they tried for years after and they have been good tag team matches and everything ever since but for me it, it was never more evident than watching this four corners match that it, it just had peaked and I, I don't think tag team wrestling has ever properly recovered ever since and it was just I found it really sad to watch what do you put that down to in the year that's just taken place between 17 and 18? Why has that happened? The teams that they had just, they didn't really feel that important anymore. They didn't feel like they had many teams. God bless Billy and Chuck, you know, no disrespect to them, but they're fine, you know, perfectly okay tag team, but they don't feel like a, a big special attraction. The APA are definitely already at their heyday. And like, it just felt like they were trying to live off that TLC glory. And I just felt that it'd come and go gone they'd had those epic matches and that and that was it it just I, I didn't feel it felt that the tag team division were about esteem and there was nobody left and the only people who were were like I said guys like Billy and Chuck and whoever they throw together it was just really sad I, I suppose you, you've got the, the kind of original golden era of sort of WF tags and sort of the late 80s and and I guess up to probably like 90 91 kind of around that I felt like around the time the Hart Foundation split up and then you had a little bit of a run with Legion of Doom but then after that I think I think it was downhill there you know, natural disasters, all that sort of stuff. Money income wasn't particularly into, but yeah, then you had this other other period with these, you know, the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge and Christian as well. But yeah, it certainly was on the downer by by this uh, by this point. Though there was loads going on in this match, though I thought, which was uh, which is which was somewhat interesting. Which which dreadful band was this Matt that was that was singing out that one of them like Stacey Keeper's stage direction was oh, grind the lead singer. It made, it, it made me was, sick. This was Saliva. Saliva playing oh. the Dudley Boys remix theme tune from WWF Forcible Entry the album which was fantastic <laughs> uh, hang on wait a minute wait a minute Forcible Entry I've never heard of this thing I mean what? I know it's crazy isn't it it wasn't like it was plastered all over this fucking show <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was uh, this is quite I just found that so like obviously they'd set that up it's like oh Stacey right what you need to do is really grind your ass into this lead singer and then do this and do this Duchess Billion... of Dudleyville use her name right <laughs> yeah. what was it Duchess of Dudleyville the, Dutch, the Duchess oh of Dudleyville I'll tell you <laughs> what I'll like... tell you what there's you're right Stacey's performance was a little bit embarrassing but there's another performance that I'll talk to you about later on that was 50 times worse than this okay okay I, I thought it was hot but whatever <laughs> shall I get a bit of stage direction here for me Ben unless you want me to grind anyone I'm happy to do you want me to carry on with the match here or do you, or do you want to talk about the go go for the match I mean it, it, it's yeah it's 14 minutes long it's an elimination four-way tag team title match the APA go first I believe I'm running through it really really quickly the Dudley boys go second and then uh, Billy and Chuck beat the Heidi boys at the end somehow can't remember how but that's how no fine fine yeah so we had this dire saliva stuff um, but then thankfully Billy and Chuck's music which should have won some sort of award oh. incredible stuff uh, and Laura, Laura talks about being in a boy band back in his, his heyday called the Backseat Boys uh, was I Stephen Coriander was briefly involved in a boy band myself called West Club Seven 
West Club Seven <laughs> made their only performance at our school's cabaret night in April 2000, singing I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys and Swear It Again by Westlife. Uh, now, I was very much in a supporting role, given that my voice is somewhere between bad and awful. However, I worked on my harmonies, lots of hard work, blood, sweat and tears. And the crew brought the house down that night. Uh, our friends, all the MILFs in the crowd, all the best looking mums, they were screaming their heads off, absolutely screaming at the better looking and far more talented members of the group that were in front of me. And then me in the background, they kind of didn't mind just sort of being up there. Yeah, so West Club 7, a reunion, 25 year reunion tour coming in a couple of years time. For the Random Wrestling Review crew, you're going to have front row tickets to that. So I'll let you know, 2020, April 2025. I'll pay, I'll pay, I'll be, I'll be there. <laughs> To be fair, the three main singers are actually quite good, but we would we, the the back row four of us were terrible. So here's a niche subject: referees counting cadence. Now Nick Patrick was a referee in this, and I found his sort of slapping of the mat very grating, and it reminded me of Paul Turner. I don't know if you guys are familiar with his in AEW, but when he can't, this is not very good for a for an audio podcast because I'm slapping my hand in that you you guys can see it. So Paul Turner would kind of do this, one, are these, two. Are these, are these are these the dance moves you did in West Club Seven? No, it was, that uh, was more like a bit of this, like hold hold your heart. <laughs> do the double fist, like some of that kind of thing, please, basically. Please tell me that you had stools and that when the key change came in, you stood up. Please do you tell know me what? Do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what? We did. We were going to have stools. Legitimately, the three guys that could sing said that it restricted their vocal range. So we got rid of the stools. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And one of my friends, he'll probably be listening to this, nicknamed Swiss Roll because his penis is, looks like a Swiss Roll. It's so large. The same one that like, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago put his uh, genitals on a dinner plate. He spent the whole of, and we rehearsed for it. I mean, we were rehearsing probably three or four nights a week for probably six weeks before this. And all he was doing for virtual that time was holding the stool and pretending to shack it in more elaborate ways until we got rid of the stools. So... <laughs> You're just an amazing you're a boy band you mean he tried to make love to the student <laughs> yes yeah, sorry just an amazing time in our lives but yeah sorry back to the referee's cadence paul turner when he comes down for the three count he like does this weird thing almost like he's like surfing his hand away do you know what i mean matt i think you you nick patrick has always bugged me <laughs> yeah yeah and, and and he so so any any not that i was massively insistent but any near fall he oh, was okay. like telegraphing it and giving it away that it wasn't gonna be a thing anyway back to the match didn't particularly enjoy jeff hardy sexually assaulting stacy keeber twice after the after the ordeal that she'd been through um and that hadn't aged well um and i thought this was very very boring uh this match so there we go <laughs> all that fair and i thought oh, yeah. it was very very <laughs> yeah, sorry boring. Yeah. Did you know what? <laughs> I, I very quickly have to point out as well I, I did forget to say this i feel like jeff hardy would still be being beaten up today um if somebody hadn't stopped it because my god it felt like he was selling for a fucking lifetime <laughs> i was so grateful when he finally got the tag i thought hooray yeah i didn't i didn't have a lot to say about this match to be honest i understand exactly what you mean Matt. it does feel sad i think the inclusion of the hardys and the dudleys is is the problem here and i think this might have been better served by just having the hardys against billy and chuck for example that would have been it would have just removed everybody's minds from tlc the fact you've got the hardys and the dudleys makes it like oh we still got those two they're still here and we've got these other guys in the apa we don't we only use for five minutes because i presume i don't know but i presume farouk probably couldn't go for very long because bradshaw obviously could because he carried on for some time after this and in fairness they had the draft not long after this the first draft not long after this and they split the APA and they split the Dudleys deliberately because they just needed to do something else with them or try something else because they were both really, really tired. I can't remember if they split the Hardys as well, possibly. 
and yeah I, I did i i felt the same i felt this is quite sad and i i think you're right they did not they didn't have that same rotation of teams in the same way as you you would at the top of the at the top of the card you need to keep bringing in new talent fresh talent to sort of freshen the main event scene up or you know on a regular basis the same goes for the tag team division you just need to be building tag teams that can replace ones that you're now willing to you know move into the singles ranks they obviously have big plans for edge so that's why they've split up edge and christian so you need to be facilitating the build of a new tag team that people are invested in during that period and it just didn't it never really came it just didn't really happen and the fact they were still relying on the APA who two years before this was already kind of quite a tired tag team you know it says it all really the other the only other main notes I had about this was I absolutely agree with Stephen Billy and Chuck's music absolutely phenomenal what an amazing theme tune for for the for the gimmick for the character just absolutely brilliant and actually quite fun and I would much rather watch that or West Club 7 than fucking saliva or drowning oh, pool yes. doing anything so this is my talking point is the fucking i my talking point is i assume matt that your music taste has been entirely shaped by wwe because honestly <laughs> wwe's music taste is fucking atrocious and <laughs> you seem to love everything that any they ever bring out and i'm talking right from this right through to kid rock and everything else they ever did absolutely stunningly <laughs> shit um it's not even like the new metal on this, this isn't even good new metal it's not like slip not it's not like system of a down it's not like fucking marilyn manson no it's the shittest most generic nonsense crap new metal there ever has been saliva are awesome and they had many great songs that they used in fact this was just the start of the wonderful partnership between them you know they they were the theme song for survivor series 2002 they were chris jericho's theme song for a brief point with king of my world they are bloody brilliant and drowning pool drowning pool are great i mean I will say that I do feel the Triple H remix was a little bit of a miss. Um, I I like it, but I don't think it suited him at all. Was that um, Saliva that did that? That, that brutalised his entrance and made a so-so Johnny Paul made a so-so yeah. baby face even less popular on this night. But there we go. Yeah. That, that that wasn't great to be fair. Like I said, I like it, but uh, yeah, that, that that wasn't great. But um, drowning pool, saliva, disturbed have been used for WWE. There's so many great bands. Basically, <laughs> so basically, I want to ask you again: Was your music taste entirely for, informed by WWE? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you could tell. You could tell because it's absolutely atrocious. It's basically Vince McMahon's approximation of what people who are young will like. That's what. That's the music that you like. <laughs> The thing it's is, not, I it's do, terrible, mate. I do feel, I do feel like it's just in Matt's defence. Have you, have you got any older siblings, Matt? Yeah, uh, older brother. But are they fairly similar in age. Sorry, this is a bit psychological profiling now, <laughs> isn't it? Years, Sorry, yeah. yeah. Just a couple of years older, only a couple years. Okay, so it's very similar sort of age. I had much older sisters, but I was born in the eighties, so they were my middle sister's ten years older than me. So you, I think if you're born in the eighties, you you kind of get all of that sort of eighties sort of music. And I was listening to all the stuff that my sisters were sort of like, like all the kind of terrible boy bands from the mid 80s and like some of the good ones like wham and all that sort of stuff but i think for you obviously your your formative years is going to be around this time so all of the stuff that you're going to you're going to remember is going to be kind of late 90s sort of music and this i suppose isn't it so nirvana would have been way before i mean you would i'm oh, not yeah. even sure you were born what, what year were you born 1990 okay so you wouldn't have been uh, cognizant of that sort of stuff so i'm gonna i'm gonna get i'm gonna say fair play matt i understand buddy no, millennial no. and your music tastes no 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 i don't that's not a path at all that's not at all <laughs> I mean, if, it, if it was on Kerrang, yeah. 
I, I'm a fan. Exactly, of, exactly. Of the minute it gets played on Kerrang, Matt likes it. I mean, that's not that's not a way of critically assessing anything. That's just stupid. <laughs> that's like Kerrang only plays the best. Oh, you're a fucking idiot. You're just such a fucking <laughs> idiot. When it comes to music and taste, you're such an idiot. And I know it's not a pass because there is other great music around the time, the turn of the millennium that Matt could have easily gotten into, but instead he got into the most shit generic new metal there ever has been. And it's stuff like this. And it that. starts from the very beginning with the fucking terrible superstar by Saliva. That's a great song. <laughs> so fucking terrible. It hurts. Crapness of it. And it's, it's a great song. And it's anyway. coming in the title. Superstar. That's what you want. How has this shit survived the copy, copyright and it's still on WrestleMania? <laughs> but all of the good entrances are gone from the network, aren't they? But bloody Saliva remains. Yeah. yeah, saliva and drowning pool. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, to be honest, this was this was one of the things that really summed up the show for me. Is like we we are massively reliant on these two bands, regardless of whether you like them or not. And uh, over and over again, they're just playing loads of stuff. They play entrances, as you said, for the Dudleys. They play entrances for Triple H. They do a song each in like on just independently. One of them in the place of America the Beautiful, which is absolutely unforgivable. Like there's just no. <laughs> I don't think that would have gone down that well on this night though, Ben. <laughs> no, I suppose not. But at least do I'd have liked Can- to seen it though. Oh. At least do O Canada like they did at WrestleMania six. You know what I mean? Like that would have been fine. But no, Gule just... was still alive at this point as well, so they could have yeah. wheeled him out. Yeah, wheeled him out again. Wheeled him out again. No problem at all. I mean, they could have got Celine Dion in for this. Oh, that would perfect. Be incredible. Um, <laughs> Brian Adams. Brian Adams would have been great. Brian Adams. Celine Duet. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh Canada oh, by Brian Adams yeah. and Celine Dion. That would have been. Uh, and then Brian Adams does everything I do, and then Celine Dion does a Titanic song, and then we get <laughs> Jericho and Triple H in the first. That'd have been. That'd have been the best hour of WrestleMania ever, I think. The other thing was, was it Drowning Pool who played the song that was supposed to like show us the story of Triple H and Jericho? Yeah. I was like. How is this in any way telling me that story? I can't see anything on the screen. <laughs> like I was like, I had no clue as to why Triple H and Jericho were fighting because I was all I could see was this band playing this song that I thought was awful. And oh. the, and then the, yeah, you could see it on the videos behind, but you could be, you couldn't see it. Like they weren't focusing on the video. They obviously realised it was fuck the, the story was fucking shit as well. That they thought actually it'd be better to put this fucking awful song over the top of it instead. It's a great song. <laughs> By the way, it was tear away. If if you want to. You know, you go, 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 go and go and listen to something that hasn't got guitars for like like a couple of couple of months and, and try and get yourself out of this awful funk that you've got yourself in, which is just leading you down this mellow sounding just uh, awfulness. Do you like any sort of pop music or like, like kind of I'm, I'm more sort of pop punk sort of vibe, really, in terms of rock music, I would say. But anything on that sort of genre? Well, that you yeah, like? I, I will listen to it. There are some stuff I enjoy. But yeah, it's, it's pretty much the Kerrang era. Kerrang. Yeah. Yeah. So anything that's Kerrang. So probably a little bit of The Strokes. Probably a little bit of Green Day, and then probably Saliva and this shit. <laughs> saliva, the, the the lead singer did the um, the theme song to the Spider Man movie as well, which is also another awesome song. Oh, was that was that him? Was that him? The one from like, him and the lead singer of Nickelback. Nickelback, they, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fucking terrible. That which Spider Man was that? It's the one. It's, it's the first one. I think it's called Hero, isn't it? Yeah. Like oh, it's so oh, good. Oh, fucking <laughs> terrible. I never realised that so, was the guy from Saliva. I knew it was Chad Kroger, but I didn't know yeah, it was the other featuring guy. Featuring Josie Scott of Saliva. That, that, that's actually I don't mind that. What which sorry which in the in the was that Toby Maguire or the um, 2002 original the original Spider-Man. original one? Yeah. Okay, it was Josie oh. Scott and Chad Kroger. 
Yeah, I, I, I knew that. I knew that music was going to be a big theme of this one because there's, just, there's so much of it in this in this um, thing. And as you, and as I said earlier on, they plaster forcible entry all over this fucking show. Oh, and I, you know what? I'll, that'll bring me to to what I was talking about this bad performance. Even though actually it's not to do with this at all. It's, it's to, actually we'll go to that match because you know we're on, we're on it. It's the women's title match. It's Trish Stratus, Lita, and Jazz in the women's title match. And the awful performance I was talking about actually in the match as well, but before the match itself lita coming to the ring looks like a fucking wally what is she doing? <laughs> she is trying to mimic the hardy boys little stupid little dance and to be honest when the hardy boys do it it looks a bit silly these days it's really really dated but when she does it she looked so awkward as she was coming to the ring and she had to keep she was walking to the ring then she kind of realized she had to do it so she stopped and she'd do it again. And she like doing the like thrusting her hips forward whilst like, you know, doing the kind of, uh, you're not going to be able to hear this, but the, you know, the. the <laughs> oh, I heard it. I was that, that thing. And she can't, she don't, she's doing it like, you look so awkward. Just stop doing it. You just look silly. You just look an absolute wally. Then in the match itself, I remember we we recorded and released WrestleMania 19 two years ago. That will be reposted next week. We talked about the women's title match on that, and we were all thoroughly impressed by it, actually. We thought it was very good. And had the presentation of the women been better at the time, I'm talking about the way it was you know, kind of put over by commentary. I'm talking about the way it was featured on the weekly shows and whatnot. The women's title and the women's division could have been far more important and impressive during that period, given the talent they had. This year, they're obviously on the road to that. Trish is still developing and she's not still she's not quite there yet. Jazz is, is pretty decent. Lita's fucking atrocious. She messes up yeah. nearly everything during the women's title match. And I just thought, and I've criticized Lita before for being dangerous and sloppy. She was dangerous and sloppy during this match again. And I, it's a shame because Trish and Jazz are doing some really good work. And Trish is keeping it simple because she's, as I said, she's still developing. She's not quite there. But the, she's come on leaps and bounds from the fact that she was a non-wrestler, like what, two years or a year before this. Whilst Lita, I'm just, I mean, she shouldn't be in there. She's not, she's not qualified to be in there from this showing, as far as I'm concerned. In the end, Jazz takes the victory, which I think was the right result because the other two aren't quite there yet. They're not quite ready. Jazz is the rightful, for me, the right person to be with the title at this point because she can actually go and and is pretty decent. It wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, but it wasn't wasn't particularly good either. How do you think they felt when they walked up to the whiteboard on the 17th of March 2002 and they saw the match order and they they realised that they were in between Hogan and Rock and the and the undisputed title match. You just feel, oh, for fuck's sake, I just go home. Like what a miserable mood. Well, so, yeah, exactly. You just might just go home. But everything you said, Ben, was right. Lita, Lita nearly killed Trish by you know, driving her almost headfirst into the mat, and she was the common denomination and all the stuff. Though I must be honest, like Matt, you revealed some of your inner soul about Trish Stratus and some of the the feelings you had as a young man. Well, I had those feelings about Lita. So yeah, we probably should stop there before uh, the podcast takes. <laughs> a dark turn so did old man in fairness old did man it, did yeah. Too, yeah he's a big fan of lita but you know she's just she just yeah thought she was poor lita's really overrated when, when you really think about it i mean you know one of the most sort of you know famous things she did was pretty much a botch as well i mean that, that happened on raw main event years later she hit her head on the apron but you know, whatever that's story for another day but she does look very dangerous in the ring and it's just it's not a great look but th- this was a really hard watch i mean god bless the three of them but if ever there was a match that was a piss break I mean my god was this it they really did try I, I'm a big fan not just because of the the fact that she is ridiculously attractive but <laughs> I'm a very big fan 
of Trish because of how hard she worked. And like I said, this was this was my era. This is when I started watching. So to see her debut all the way through to her retirement and subsequent returning about 20 times, but wherever, she really did improve massively. You know, she went from non-wrestler to wrestler and a very, and to be honest, a really good one at that. So really respected her for that. Absolutely, Ben. This this was still early days for her. You could tell that she was trying. It was it was a good moment for her, I'm sure, being, you know, the hometown girl. Jazz, jazz was definitely good. And, you know, that there were some elements of good stuff in this, but it was just, oh, it was just really quiet. And it's understandable because the energy probably just dropped dramatically after the Hogan Rock match. But, you know, I, I mean, even like the, the finish, I mean, that was, I think that was probably the quietest part of the match. Fisherman, su- you know, Fisherman suplex off the top and it was just like, oh, okay, that's it, never mind. Uh, let's just move on with our lives. That's that's pretty much what it felt like. And I think they deserve better, but it used to come, the women's division did get better. So it does happen eventually. And it, it got better pretty much on the back of Tristratus, her popularity and her work rate, in fairness, because without that, there'd have been no central focus and it would have just been the disparate thing that it was prior to this and would become after she left actually for some time i can't decide whether or not i feel like they were this was a good place for them or a bad place for them yes no one cared but maybe given their lack of experience it was probably a good spot for them to just be able to go out there on the big stage get some experience working in front of such a big crowd and then you know but not nobody really focused on it too much because that way you know it, it didn't put too much too much pressure on them having said that yes they have no there is no reaction to it and i think again this match order if we had gone from the four-way t- uh, tag team elimination match to the women's title match to the WWE undisputed title match to Hogan Rock that would have been a far better order and I'm sure people would have then got into this match uh, as it happens they're not so I've got I've got some and a lot of people disagree with me about this uh, including Tony Khan and Triple H but I my I believe that a wrestling card should be of least interest slash importance to most interest slash importance with no buffer no buffers so you can you can do it so people get a break you know have a big long video package in between the final two matches or whatever so people can go and go use the toilet or whatever and actually on wwe shows it's very easy because they have you know half an hour adverts between them but that is the way that i think a combat sports the way ufc does it i know there's some differences but i think that's the way you do it so you give everything that what you do doing it that way around you give everything the best possible chance to get over whereas you look at an aew pay-per-view and the young bucks and kenny omega are having an 18 star classic in the first hour of the show and then you've got jay cargill coming out next so well how what's the thinking there because that doesn't make any sense but so that is a long way away from wrestlemania 18 but I just no. think that's the way to do this and just give everybody on the show the opportunity to get over and do it in that in that sort of order. But WWE don't tend to book it that way. No, this is good because I wanted to get into this with you, Stephen, because I don't quite agree with it. OK, OK. But not entirely. I don't entirely disagree with you. But we spoke about the Kurt Angle Chris Benoit match at WrestleMania 17. OK, yeah. And what I said about that was I was I was quite complimentary of the match because they were they, they held back. They didn't take it to the, the limit that they could. And that's where I disagree with you, is that the Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks simply shouldn't be trying to put on a five-star classic early on in the show. They should be holding back because their match isn't as important. Effectively, if it's a random six-man tag match, their match is not as important as the win- one of the women's title matches. It's as simple as that. So they should be holding back 
in my view. Now, I also think, though, that if you have got a ma- if you have got a show where you want the importance to rise steadily, I don't think it necessarily needs to go in a completely straight line. And the reason I say that is because what the strength of WrestleMania 17 for me is, is the variety. Mm. So I, I'm quite happy for the general thing to be going up all the way and not to have this massive dip, sort of two or three matches before the end. But that variety needs to exist. So it needs to be, you know, okay, we've just had a singles match, therefore we want a tag team match or something. It still could be a really important tag team title match, for example. What I worry about is having four singles matches one after the other yeah. to end the show i think that's when you get to a point where the variety's all gone and it even if they are the four most important matches it is difficult to just keep yourself up for that so in general i agree but i also think there's a degree of talent needs to understand their place on a given card and secondly that you want to maintain that variety as you go through the show yeah i think i never really thought about that I, I, the thing with omega and the bucks and like let's say trios world title match on pay-per-view that it a lot of people will be that's one of the matches they'll be looking forward to the most. So whether, you know, the women's title should be considered above that, which it it should be the women's world title, but actually in reality, it's probably not. But interestingly, apart from the gimmick battle Royal, which I'm fine with stuff like that being thrown in like a, like a unique sort of thing. WrestleMania 17 pretty much was booked like that, wasn't it? In terms of, you know, some of that subjective stuff around the start around sort of interest levels, you know, intercontinental titles first, but that's okay. Um, And then, yeah, no, so so actually that's, and why is that show so good? Because you build and 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 you, and it's, it's all the way through and your excitement levels going on and on and on. Alas, 18 was not quite the same as that. <laughs> but that's my point about the Young Bucks and, and Kenny Omega. Either they are important and should be on third from last or second yeah. from last, or they're third match in the show and they act like they're third match in the yeah. show. And they aren't capable of that as far as I've seen. <laughs> they don't seem to be capable of no. saying, actually, this is our position. We aren't going out to create a five-star classic. We'll try and get a two-and-a-half, three-star match because that's the position on the show that we've been booked in. And that works for the whole show and everybody else on it, not just the individual contest they're, they're in. I think the only thing with that is I don't think that's a good use of them if you do that. I think well, you've that's got fair. at the end, yeah. Well, that's fair, yeah. but they shouldn't be in the six, they shouldn't be in six man tag matches at pay-per-views, no. let's be honest. But, you know, if, if you're going to do it, they've, you've got to book it the right way. Anyway, yeah. that's further enough away from WrestleMania. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> so what we'll do, I think we will just take on the, the start of the show and maybe the first match because I think we're going to, we've got quite a bit still to cover. After Saliva and their messy superstar, whatever nonsense, we get a cool, I think the set is quite cool here. There's loads of scaffolding and a big screen and I quite liked it. I don't know. I don't, maybe Matt seems to have a different opinion on this. I hate that set. WrestleMania 80 is one of my least favorite sets, and I've even got in my notes here. Hate this set. It is. You've just said it. It's a giant fucking scaffold. What's that? <laughs> yeah, but I think it's. I think it's quite nicely lit. I, I just think it looks quite epic. I think it's, it's and it's enough different from WrestleMania 17 as well, which I think is quite important. It's great that it's different, but it's a scaffold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. I just like the look of it. I, I don't like scaffolds. <laughs> Fair enough. It surprised me because it seems like the kind of thing that someone who's into Kerrang would like scaffolds. <laughs> it's about as boring. Oh, don't don't no. believe it. No, because I'm no, and I'm being harsh because it's not like I hate everything that's on Kerrang. By the way, I just think that anyone who likes everything that's on Kerrang has got something wrong with them. <laughs> That's even harsher, actually. Ben, yeah, you don't... No, no. I didn't want to be harsh on Kerrang. Not, I, 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 I'm not worried about being harsh on Matt. Yeah, okay, okay. That's not the same thing. Live life loud. 
Then we get the video package intro with voiceover by The Undertaker, Chris Jericho, Ric Flair, Triple H, Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, The Rocks, and Scott Hall, all the participants of the big four matches of the night, effectively. And the commentary team is Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. Any thoughts around that stuff? That video was phenomenal. I thought absolute chills up the spine. It was one of the best ones I've ever done. Completely agree. I wrote that down. I thought this is one of the best ones. It felt very sports sort of centric as well. Made it feel like very sporty. Love this one. Yeah, this was one of the best ones they've done. I'll try and try and squeeze this into into about 27 seconds. But I spent the first WrestleMania 17, I couldn't drink. WrestleMania 18, I could. Um, so I bought myself a large Molson, quite a strong beer, trotted on down to my terrible seat on the floor and I was stopped, said you can't come on the floor with alcohol. So literally about 15 minutes of showtime, this kind of like double beer basically. And being a cheapskate at 20, I was like, I have to try and drink as much as this as possible. So I spent the first 45 minutes or so of WrestleMania, A, desperately needing a wee and B, really pissed because of this massive beer. So um, what a stupid rule, you can't take beer to your seat, but there we go. That was 34 seconds, Stephen. So, oh, sorry, um, sorry. Yeah, so you're disqualified from the rest of the podcast. <laughs> cut uh, it out, cut it out. <laughs> disqualified. So, but so you were 20 when you went to WrestleMania 18. 20. What, to yeah. what age do you have to be in Canada to drink? 18, I think it was. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So if, if, if the previous one had been in Canada, you'd been fine as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, instead of eating Snickers Crunches and uh, Diet Coke, whatever it was I was consuming that night. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so then the first match of the night, it's William Regal versus Rob Van Dam is for the Intercontinental title. It is a match that goes for just about six and a half minutes and ends when Regal gets kicked by Van Dam and he hits the five-star frog splash to win the title. Matt, what did you make of this? Yeah. <laughs> okay i think eh, it is probably the, the probably the best way i can sort of sum it up but a bit of a bit of a weird mix i think rvd and regal it doesn't seem like a you know sort of two guys who, who would mesh well uh, and not that you know sort of certain that they did um i mean rvd did take some pretty good sort of bumps on some really good suplexes and things like that a little bit too dangerous, I think, you know, landing right on the back of his head. But yeah, I mean, the, the story of this was, was Regal was still in the middle of his brass knucks, you know, sort of gimmick. And, you know, as soon as he comes out, tries to use him, RVD kicks him away. I still find it weird that, you know, looking back now that this was RVD's, you know, debut WrestleMania. You know, how quick has that gone? But yeah, like I said, match-wise, it, it it didn't really it didn't really amount to much. It was it was short. It was OK. I mean, the, the right guy won for absolute certain the right guy won crowd seemed to be you know relatively into it it, it, it was a decent little start to the show yeah it was okay i missed the start of this uh, at the time because i was trying to sneak into the stand to sit in some empty seats because my seats were pretty much the back row of the floor which were dreadful <laughs> absolutely this is, shocking this is something you learn from a young age from SummerSlam 92 isn't it Stephen? that you're supposed to go and steal other seats that are better yes. than the ones you paid for <laughs> exactly but unfortunately even though there was this whole kind of block that had probably 17 or 18 seats empty the, the stewards were all over it so they sent me back down some idiot in the crowd had a sign that said dawn has big nips uh, I'm pretty sure Dawn, whoever Dawn was, was better than this guy. And also, I'm sure there's quite a lot of people that like the larger nipple. So just leave her alone. I thought this was great. I thought this was really, really good. And I had no memory of this being so good. And I thought this was about as as uh, as excellent as a match can be under 10 minutes. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this opener. Yeah, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed this. I thought this, I, I remember, I may even have referenced this about 10 weeks ago or so on, on a certain show as being a match where I felt was really awkward. I can remember it being awkward. Watching it now, I thought, actually, I, I'm quite surprised by how decent this is it was a really mm. smooth little match that i was quite happy with two styles that were very contrasting i think my biggest criticism really is that 
Rob Van Dam, if anybody, if you're going to push anybody at this time and up to the top level, Rob Van Dam should have been the guy in Chris Jericho's position ultimately, mm. because he was absolutely smoking hot at the time when Jericho won the the sort of unified championships. And, he, you know, his first six months in the company was absolutely massive. He kind of cut the legs off uh, from underneath him at No Mercy 2001, which we've covered is in the archives uh, when he and The Rock and Chris Jericho, no, he and Steve Austin and Kurt Angle, sorry, were in a triple threat match. Um, but yeah, he, he should have been the guy there. And to, then for him to be in the opening match of this WrestleMania is indicative of, I think, where, and I, I, I hesitate to do this because I, I always want to blame stuff on Triple H just because I just think that he was the one operating in the back, you know, getting his grubby little fingers over everything, trying to make sure that he, he came out well all the time. And I just wonder whether or not Triple H seized upon some of the co- the comments that have been made about Rob Van Dam by other wrestlers suggesting that he was a little bit sloppy, a little bit dangerous. Yeah, and, and I know he wasn't even on the roster at the time because he was still injured, but I bet he was still backstage doing his little politicking and going give the push to Chris Jericho knowing full well Jericho was not ready and was not Mm. there where Rob Van Dam absolutely was and they could have capitalized on him that could have been the one thing that came out of the invasion that really kind of got some value was Rob Van Dam and instead kind of put him on here and I don't think even though he did get his sort of mini run in 2006 I don't think he ever got back to the level he was in 2001 Yeah. yeah Way too late at that point. That's my main criticism of this, but ultimately, yeah, I thought it was a decent little match. Six and a half minutes. I couldn't really, I can't really complain. It was a pretty good start. Okay, I think what we'll do is we'll take a break there. Um, we'll come back in after the break and we'll cover the rest of the show, which obviously means that we just through a pure accident have actually reassigned Hogan and The Rock to the main event because it will be the last thing we actually cover. Isn't that special? We'll Lovely. see you then. Finally, The Rock has come back to Toronto! Hulk Hogan, the stage is set. WrestleMania, the biggest matchup of all time. A matchup that will determine who will go down as the greatest ever. And Hogan, last week, you asked The Rock. You stood in the ring and asked The Rock what you're gonna do when Hulkamania runs wild on you. You see, Hogan, what you're failing to realize, The Rock wants you to remember, is The Rock wants Hulkamania to run wild on him tonight. The Rock wants Hulkamania in all of his glory. Coach, let The Rock ask you something. Did you take your vitamins this morning? Well, actually, I did, Rock. (laughs) We actually, Rock, thank you. Let the Rock ask you this. Did you say your prayers? Well, actually, I, I got kind of busy. I was you getting... got busy saying your prayers. The Rock gives thanks every day. We all do. And you got busy? Well, Rock, it's been a busy... Well, what are you waiting for, Coach? What are you waiting for? You know what? Shut up, Coach. You don't make any decisions around here. The Rock's not going to make a decision tonight. Excuse The Rock one second. Would you people like to see the coach say his prayers? You see, coach, they believe in you. The Rock believes in you. So, coach, say your prayers. Say your prayers. So put your hands together, coach. Put them together. Look up into the sky. Look up. Get down on your knees, coach. Get on your knees. Say your prayers. Give your thanks. Get down on your knees, coach. Coach, we all believe in you, coach. Now you say your prayers like you've never said them before. 
What up, Jake? Coach here, I just wanted to give you, you know, a quick shout out. It's been night for everybody. What in the blue hell is wrong with you? What up, G? That's the way you give thanks? You get out of here, you sick freak. You don't give thanks like that. Get his candy ass out of here. You see, Hulk Hogan, The Rock wants Hulkamania in all of his glory. What you gonna do, Hulk Hogan, when you face The Rock tonight? When you've got butterflies in your hoka stomach and you reach down to feel if you still got a hoka strudel. Hulk Hogan, what you gonna do when The Rock runs wild on you? But you know what, Hogan? The Rock will tell you exactly what you're gonna do. The Rock will tell you, you're gonna feel the electricity like you've never felt before. Electricity that has happened like never before. Hulk Hogan, you are gonna hear 70,000 strong chanting your name, chanting The Rock's name. Hulk Hogan, you will see the people's elbow come crashing down on your chest. And Hogan, above all else, above all else, you will, you will, you will, you will, you will, good God Almighty, you will smell what The Rock is cooking. Okay, welcome back. So where we are in the show right now is just after the first match, and we have backstage Lillian Garcia interviewing Christian. We then see some footage of DDP helping Christian beat Billy Gunn in a singles match, but then Christian attacking DDP. When we come back from that video, Christian speaks to Lillian and says he used DDP to help him get back to his winning ways. And now he doesn't need him anymore. He says he's a winner. There was some other stuff, but, you know, this wasn't for me, this whole gimmick that Christian was doing at this point, which is ahead of the Christian DDP match. Any thoughts on that interview or should I just push on? I liked his smile. That was about it. Oh, yeah. The DDP. Yeah. The fake. DDP. Yeah. Oh, Matt's, Matt's good at it as <laughs> well, Matt. Dude, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a bit maniacal. I'm not sure, uh, not sure about that. So then we get uh, Christian versus DDP. DDP defending his European title. This one goes for just about six minutes. Uh, DDP gets the victory after hitting the diamond cutter. Although they did a mass just before that, they did a massive telegraph of a clothesline duck. DDP ducking under Christian's clothesline, massively telegraphed. DDP then hit the diamond cutter and getting the victory. After the match, DDP grabbed the microphone and told Christian that he's proud of him for not losing his temper, even though he lost in front of 67,000 fans. And he says, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Christian then throws a tantrum. Stephen. Matt, did you spot DDP's gloves in this match? No, I don't know if I don't think I did, no. He had thumbless MMA gloves on. I so, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, quite the shooter, <laughs> Mr. Page, was in his heyday. Um, I didn't think this was the level of the first match. A couple of nice moments, but as you said, Ben, the finish was clunk city. Um, I thought the European title looked absolutely gorgeous uh, at the start of this. And I quite like Christian's end of match tantrum, even though Jim Ross suggesting that his bottom be powdered was a tiny bit awkward. Presumably a baby reference, I guess. Does, yes. does powdering a baby's bum stop a tantrum? I don't think it stops a tantrum. And plus, I don't think you're supposed to do it anymore either. They don't recommend you use talcum powder anymore. They, they, you know, yeah. You're supposed to use other stuff now to keep it dry. I mean, I'm sure people still do, but I've, I've definitely read some stuff about how you shouldn't really use it. It's not particularly good. So, so that's filed under in the same sort of column as smacking your child for discipline reasons in the Bad Parenting Guide of 2023. I mean, probably not quite as high as that, but you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, in, it's on the list somewhere. <laughs> 
Yeah. But the DDP gimmick is something that you, you'd you think that I really wouldn't like, but I was 12 at this point. I thought it was funny. Uh, you know that, that explains your musical taste as well. <laughs> I find it I found it slightly amusing. Yeah, I mean for for a match that was about six minutes, it wasn't too bad. I, I've always been a big fan of Christian. I think as a worker, he's incredibly underrated. And again, for something that was six minutes, I think he more than held up his own in this. You know, I've I've said before, I'm not a fan of the European title in the slightest. The, the second they say this is for the European title, I kind of switch off a little bit. And I kind of did a little bit here. Yeah, you know, I agree the the finish was a bit telegraphed, but back then even still to this day love the diamond cutter i did sort of write in my notes and did have a bit of a chuckle to myself i put diamond cutter out of nowhere and i was like hmm why does that sound familiar but yeah the, the the temper tantrum thing i don't like that now whatever i mean it was it was a way of getting christian some airtime but aside from the match very quickly I have to comment on christian's theme hate it absolutely hated it i mean it was his first one away from edge and obviously the the at last you're on your own oh that's lovely but is that, you know, is that the whole thing for a theme? Fuck off, man. Come on now. <laughs> That was awful. I was going to comment on the theme, actually, and I've got a note here, which is Christian's music is absolutely nuts. It's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. The, the start off, the, the choir, going, Christian, Christian, at last, you're on your own. <laughs> and then it goes, ding, 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 ding. And you're like, what's going on? And then there's something else as well. I can't remember what it is, but there's something then after that that makes it even more crazy. I'm like, this is an absolute nuts. So I like it from that perspective. Bit of a strange entrance theme, I agree with you, Matt. But I, I, you know, from that perspective, I was like, this is weird. The, the DDP character, I didn't mind, to be honest. I thought it was okay. Like, DDP by this point was not going to be the main event guy that he basically was in WCW. They'd ruined that completely during the invasion. So in order to just extend a run and give him something to do, and I think there were some other uses of that that they could have gone with at that time. I didn't mind it. I thought it was a relatively original, decent little concept for a mid-card or lower mid-card act. And that's ultimately what DDP was by this point. So I, I didn't mind it too much. As I said, the match was a little bit clunky towards the end. I thought it was all right in general, but I think... It was nice to see DDP get his WrestleMania moment, I suppose, in the same arena that he would have driven old Greg Valentine and Honky Tonk Man to the ring at WrestleMania 6 for their performance of Hunker, 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 Honky Love, which I know Matt particularly loved. Oh, and, so good. And, and in terms of musical performances of WrestleMania, actually, oh, I shines everything on this show. Oh, I literally was going to say, don't even go there. Don't even remotely go there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, not a lot of crowd reaction though, ultimately. And Christian having a temper tantrum, I think at the time I probably disliked it because I thought, oh, you know, this is not this is not going well for Christian. He's very much racing towards the Marty Jannetty section of the broken up tag teams. But now I'm a bit like, I don't really care because I just don't really think Christian was, as I said before, I just don't think he was at that level anyway. I don't think he was ever going to be more than mid-card in the WWE. Uh, I know that he did go elsewhere and become a headlining act, but for me, I just don't, I'm just not, I just don't see it. I just don't see him as a top guy at all. Next up, Jonathan Coachman interviews The Rock. Uh, he talks about this being the biggest matchup of all time tonight, which again, Begs the question, why is it not in the main event then? Rock then humiliates the coach when he says he was busy the previous night and didn't get round to praying. So the Rock tells him to get down on his knees and say his prayers right now. Coach gets down on his knees and starts and he says, what up, G? And then the Rock lambasts him and says, what in the blue hell is wrong with you? Absolutely brilliant. I can't do it justice. The Rock then kicks Coach out and then goes back to Hogan with another great Rock promo. And to be honest, watching these promos, uh, WrestleMania 16, 17 and 18, I've just been like, oh, 
just for the rock to be this rock again would be just magnificent because he's just he's firing on all cylinders and it's effortless it's just so easy for him at this time yeah this is fantastic i thought i was i was blown away by this and i remember it at the time and i just thought bloody hell i mean it is stating the obvious that He's a bloody great promo. But this, I just thought he was quite funny as well. The Rock was hilarious here. You know, the get out of here, you sick freak. I love it. (laughs) Well, I mean, he was funny, but then also was great at addressing the matches and hyping the matches. So he does then a great job of hyping his his match against Hogan as well as, as doing the funny stuff. And that's, I think, a rare quality. I think you're either really good at one or the other in, in pro wrestling, but to be good at both is, is something pretty, pretty impressive. How, how intense, you know, was he when he was talking about that? That's what really sort of struck me to, yeah, to literally flip the switch to go from hilarious to super intense. I mean, my God, I I was fucking fired up for this match after this. Yeah. Next up, we get the hardcore title match, which is Maven against Goldust, a match that goes for three minutes and ends in a no contest when uh, Spike runs in and pins Maven to win the title after Maven's been hit with a trash can by Goldust. Crash Holly then runs in and chases Spike through the crowd and so do Goldust and Maven. And that's the end of this little contest. Interesting that Maven got himself a WrestleMania match here, despite the fact that it wasn't really his match because it was won by somebody who wasn't even in it. Matt, any thoughts on this little thing? Just just a few, because I'm actually a big fan of Maven. I watched the entire series of Tough Enough that he won and was a big fan of the show as well. Obviously, he's for the most part of his career, he's going to be remembered for his elimination of The Undertaker in the Royal Rumble, which was absolutely amazing. Not sure how much people can remember it, but you know what? He had a fairly decent sort of mini feud with The Undertaker as well, which, you know, for a guy of his experience level, was really good. Okay, he's still, you know, early into his career, and I'm not sure how much he really could go in the match, but they had enough shortcuts there that I think they might have been able to do something a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I was a little bit disappointed that but I, I do feel they perhaps could have done something a little bit different. Maybe Goldust was the wrong opponent, I, I think, might have been the issue here. I, I was into Maven as well, actually, strangely enough. I thought this was quite a nice story at the time. And I don't I, I'm, I, I feel like I'm obsessed with music and music rights now. Thank but God you mentioned it because I forgot. <laughs> it wasn't his music, was it? No, it was crap. <laughs> yeah, it was crap. That was um, shit, Ben. Yeah, that what, was what, shit. What were, even, what were you referring to? Maven's entrance music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, was it the Tough Enough theme and the dub? Something like that, it, I think. It was, it, it was his theme, but very generically done. Like, for whatever reason, they just didn't do his original one, which was bloody great. Yeah, it, it was really great, actually. It was Tangent. Do you remember the Cruiserweight Classic when TJP won it? And they changed his music. Like, he had his, this incredible, incredible music. And then about two weeks after his debut, they changed it. I was like, this was not the same thing. So not really relevant to bring it up. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember either. So it was no, 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 no. Um, change, changing the subject, getting back to this. Someone, someone, this is now, this is possibly not as bad as the sign I brought up at WrestleMania 2000 related to Owen Hart. But someone brought in a sign that read, Gold Dust Raped My Dad. Now, I what what could possibly go through someone's mind to do that? And and that I thought was a fantastic advert for the thing that Glenn Jacobs is so against. So there we go. <laughs> wow, yeah. I didn't see that one. That came on camera. Fuck. If you're going to bring a child into the world like this, your parenting, and think think twice. 
Baby Think Twice. That's a Celine Dion song? That's a Celine Dion song. There you go. Twice, Baby yeah. Think Twice. I quite like Maven too. That makes a trio. I, I was I was quite a fan of his. I, I thought Tough Enough, the series, the first was really good. Really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, it was one of those classic things where I think they could have made more of Maven. I think that the rumble elimination of The Undertaker was should have been just the start of what they did with him. He should not have been relegated at this point to the hardcore title match, which lasted three minutes or so. I'd rather you left him off the show, to be honest, than, not, than do this because it just defined him down. And yeah, I don't think he was particularly skilled you know i do think he was very green and was struggling a little bit and actually to your point matt if you're going to put him in there with someone Goldust is probably the kind of guy to do it veteran long-term guy experience should be able to carry him through the match but they didn't they, i mean they had three minutes so they didn't really have a lot of time to work with but yeah i just i felt like in the end it came down to again sort of ego and i think that's the thing that really is the theme for me of this not just this show but this period is that all the old guys started to get really upset and all and, and all the all the top stars basically suddenly withdrew into themselves and became much more selfish and much more kind of a little bit worried about their positions. I mean, obviously, Austin leaves the company sort of three months after this because he's not happy about booking that they're giving him. And understandably so, but ultimately he's not happy about it. You've got Triple H, we've already talk, talk, spoken about. I've already spoken about previous weeks, The Undertaker and his ego during his time and his his lack of cooperation with, with younger talent. And I think that extends to the Maven thing because they obviously had Maven eliminate him, but then after the match, after sorry, after the elimination, The Undertaker takes him off through the crowd up into like the, up in the arena and absolutely smashes the fuck out of him. Beats so, the shit yeah, out of him. Yeah, so, to absolutely make sure that nobody thinks Maven on the undertaker's level like it's it's basically that confirmation and you've got hogan who's a classic polit- politician you know coming in and, and and kind of mucking around with everything the rock's going away so he's he, he's out of the place and it just feels like everything right at this point is ego and it kind of started the previous year with the invasion like the undertaker and some of the others objecting effectively to these ww stars in real life coming into their world and kind of getting pushes see the burial of ddp for example for that and it carries on here. And I feel like that's what this was about, was like Maven is a guy that's not paid his dues. We don't want him in here in, in this company. It's not, you know, it's not the right way to go about doing things, despite the fact that it's your own television show. And if you make a big deal of him, people are really going to want to watch the next season of Tough Enough because it will mean somebody's going to be a star out of that show. It just was so counterproductive. I just it's really sums up my whole bad feeling about the company at this point in time which i really at the time had and still do when i look back at it so then it's the drowning pool performance of whatever it was that they played for the video music for the video package of triple h and jericho then backstage crash and spike continue to fight al snow then arrives in a golf cart with a ref and misses completely classic comedy spot i thought that was great he crashes into a load of cardboard boxes which which made me think of uh, father ted speed three episode and then Hurricane swings into view, kicks Spike and pins him and then runs off with the belt. Matt, this is what you were talking about a couple of weeks ago when you said if you want the hardcore title to be involved throughout the show, then you can do it. And it's it's still quite fun. And I did enjoy it. But like the the only sort of minor gripe I have, and to be honest, this is with the hardcore title in general. If ever they tend to do something that's backstage or not in the ring, you can hit any move that you would normally hit them with in the ring and they'll get the pin if it's backstage. At least that's how I always used to see it. Like the, the kick that, you know, Hurricane gave to Spike Dudley was the most pathetic non-kick you've ever seen. But it was it was funny how he sort of swung in there. He did that mid-ring, Spike would have kicked out. But because it's backstage and it's more dangerous, gets the win. Kind of gripe, but yeah. 
splitting hairs is uh, coming to mind, Matt. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a comedy thing anyway. It's not, uh, this isn't serious. Mm. Polar bears aren't a like comedy though, really. So, no, they uh, don't. They really polar don't. Polar bears don't laugh. No, they don't um, laugh. They don't laugh and they only enjoy stuff that's on Kerrang. Yeah, they don't laugh and they, they love saliva. <laughs> I'm going to make it nice and easy for you, Ben, with regards to this 24-7 stuff because I just gave up writing notes about it. So just, just skip me out of it. I'm tapping out the 24-7. <laughs> oh, the, the, the last one I wrote was 24-7 nonsense. And so I gave up after that. So over to you and Matt. I just realised I'm going to get a really bad... Oh, man. I'm going to get a really bad rap later on. And I'm sure you guys both know there's a segment with the Hoggle title that I loved. And I'm going to get such a bad rap for it. Fuck. (laughs) I already know what it is. And that's because you already have a bad rap for this. (laughs) And so it's obvious what you're talking about. But i got to be honest, the 24-7 stuff was one of the highlights of the show for me. Okay. So. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just, I, you know, it's like, you know better than anyone, Ben. Note taking on a long show. And obviously you'll have to take a lot more notes than I am for this. So thank you. I don't have to do that bit. But yeah, it's just like you get to a point where you're just like, I don't, I can't, I can't do it anymore, basically. So yeah, that was where I was at that. Next up is Kurt Angle versus Kane. Before the match, Angle says if he had won his gold medal the way the Canadian figure skaters won theirs, he'd want to shoot himself in the head he then says he is the big red white and blue machine then king comes out and lawler calls him old brimstone breath which i thought was great and then we go king uh, counters an angle slam at the end of the match and goes for a choke slam but angle counters into an untidy pinning combination for the win after about 11 minutes Matt, what did you make of this one? This was such a waste of Kurt Angle for a WrestleMania as well. I mean, did anybody really want to see Kurt Angle versus Kane? Like, again, I know, you know, we talked about it on the last show that, you know, this sort of particular persona of Kane was really popular. And he still got a bit, I felt he got a big reaction here. So I guess, you know, he, he certainly did have his fans, but I can't fathom anybody really wanted to see this. And I got to be honest, for me, it was it was quite boring. If anything, I think time hasn't been good to this one. I found it worse than the first time. I genuinely struggled to actually stay awake during this, which is not something I thought I'd ever say about a Kurt Angle match. But there just wasn't a whole hell of a lot to it. Kane did take a couple of German suplexes. Cool, that was all right. You know, Angle tried to go for the mask at one point, which I thought well, that was good. Um, but the finish was a bit clunky. And I, I don't know. I, I felt this was a tremendous waste of Kurt. So... I'm not a fan of this one. Now, I remember enjoying this at the time, but I agree with you, Matt. This doesn't age very well at all. Jerry Lawler was excruciating on this. He kept talking about uh, head trauma. I just kind of feel the more I listen to Jerry Lawler from around this time, I, th- I wonder whether he just wasn't all that good or like it's just you kind of feel more nostalgia to him rather than the actual quality of his output. Because I think, think someone like Bobby Heenan, you listen to, or, or Jesse, actually, for, my, for most of his run, a kind of timeless was I think Jerry Lawler's stuff really ages badly. The finish was a mess. At the end of this, I dared to leave the room, this room because I I, I do occasionally watch it on a on a screen um, and type in front of it and return to find a full cup of delicious coffee I prepared for myself have been spilled by one of my cats all up the wall all over a carpet that's only three months old so yeah just a, just um lovely times watching my under 18 in this house basically <laughs> disasters all around yeah yeah I, I've not got any real notes about this to be honest really quite an average contest in general and probably right a, a waste of Kurt Angle and I think again for me this is about I think this whole show and this whole period is infected Vince McMahon 
kayfabe wise talked about injecting the wwe with a lethal dose bringing in the nwo is infected by them and rick flair's presence in the in the company they just make everything worse in my opinion this show could have been much better if as i say rock and austin headlined for the to unify the two titles you put angle in a decent position you put rob van damme in a decent position much better show and just for me the people who won the Monday Night War, by the way, The Rock and Austin, getting the positions they deserve rather than Hogan and Flair had already fucked up one company now coming in and doing the same to WWE. And I, I, I really felt this at the time. I really at the time felt resentful, actually, of their presence entirely. And I, and I just imagine, wow, Austin in the midst of it probably felt even i can only imagine what he felt given i felt resentful towards them austin must have felt like what the fuck is this about you know why are these guys here fucking this all up and this is another consequence of it. i think kurt angle's position on this show in a match against kane this wouldn't have happened given where he was the previous autumn those matches with austin this would not have happened if those guys hadn't come in he would have been in a position of importance in some way on this show had that tv match it was just a tv match yeah Next up, Hurricane is uh, sneaking around backstage and walks into a locker room with the hose getting undressed. Eventually, the Godfather arrives and chases Hurricane away. And Matt's grabbing his head as if this is something this is something awful, even though he's had to sit through two terrible saliva and drowning pool um, songs on this show. This was fucking terrible. In fact, you know what? I almost enjoyed it because of how terrible it was. Like, it was clearly such a let's shoehorn in some comedy here. And it was just so bad that you, I suppose you do have to laugh for a little bit. Just the, 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 God, the Godfather's hose, shall we say, just, you know, randomly having a conversation. Hey, do my tits look too big? Because of course, <laughs> that's just, that's what you're going to talk about in the middle of WrestleMania. Hey, my tits look big. Fine, whatever. Then you had Hurricane with his kendo stick, which, hey, oh, ha, 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 the kendo stick gets Gets bigger. Oh, oh, what's that insinuated? <laughs> what was this? Yeah, it was so shit that you have to laugh at it. I, I am dying after what you <laughs> your uh, your uh, assessment of that particular particular angle. I'm presuming, Stephen, that you were you're done by this point. Uh, Matt has covered it all up. I covered it all up. <laughs> Not well enough. Not well These enough. These ladies weren't covering it all up, but there we go. So then there's a video package hyping Undertaker and Flair. Flair hitting Taker with a lead pipe and then Taker challenging Flair to a match at WrestleMania. Flair declining and so Taker attacks Arn Anderson and then David Flair and then Flair accepting the challenge. Taker then getting Flair arrested. A board meeting taking place where the board put Vince McMahon in sole control until after WrestleMania. McMahon then makes the match between the Undertaker and Ric Flair a no disqualification contest. Undertaker rides in on his motorbike for a second year in a row and we have the undertaker versus flair i thought the video package itself made me think that this was the most well built up thing to this map to the show everything else felt like it didn't have the same quality of build as this particular build i thought this was actually pretty decent yeah this is, this is a great video package yeah i really enjoyed this one I, I guess that was also reflective of the fact that it probably was the best thing built up to this show. Mm. It, pr- it probably was. Like, it, it, it really did. Yeah, I mean, it, this really did have a good bit of storyline development behind it compared to a lot of the other stuff. Yeah. So this one goes for 18, 19 minutes nearly. Uh, it's no disqualification match. The Undertaker defeats Flair when Taker goes after Anderson, Arn Anderson after Anderson runs in and hits Taker with a spine buster, puts him in a choke until Flair hits Taker with a chair a bunch of times. But then Taker comes back with a big boot 
Taker can't get Flair up for the last ride, so tombstones him instead for the victory. I, I assume that they were trying to finish this with a last ride, or maybe they were going to give him a last ride and then have him ca- kick out and then do the tombstone. But for whatever reason, probably Flair being too old, they just couldn't get him up for it. Do you know, I, I, I yeah, I was going to ask you guys about this because I was thinking, I was like, did, did he sandbag in the Taker? Because I mean, l- let's face it, the idea of Ric Flair taking a last ride is laughable. I, I can't for the life of me think that anybody thought that he would agree to it. So th- that to me looked like that's what the finish should be, but he was going, fuck no. So they just give up and did the tombstone. Well, what I would say is that a big, the, the person doing the last ride relies massively on the person they're doing it to to get themselves up into that position. I think it was Flair wasn't capable. Mm, maybe. Stephen, what did you think of the match? Where to start? Flair, I thought, looked incredibly young in this pre-match video. He's 53. I mean, I, I know he'd had a facelift and stuff by this stage. I don't know if Botox was a thing in 2002, but yeah, it was working for him. Rollins still existed. That's a nice touch. What was less of a nice touch was when Lawler said that Flair's family tree needed trimming, which made me cringe quite a bit. And it was very Alan Hansen, USA 94, that Colombian defender deserved to be shot sort of stuff. This was during a time where Ross called Take a Booger Red. Now, am I to take that name? literally in that essentially Undertaker was a red bogey because if someone showed me a red bogey that would be more entertaining than most of the t- first 10 years of his career I said about Lawler Lawler is like that person that you just dread you, like, you just desperately hope you meet him at a wedding you're like I just don't please don't please don't be sat next to me please don't be sat next to me I'd rather die like drown myself in the toilet than have to sit next to this guy for a few hours just awful Ross said Undertaker was jerked off the top rope which didn't appeal to me at all given what I've just said about Jerry Lawler's comedy Take made sure he did a huge kick out quite a bit before three um, so as not to properly sell Arn Anderson's shitty WCW spine buster what a guy taker was or slash is this was okay uh, you know decent to good some are higher on this match than I am but um, one of the main issues I had at the time and also watching back I mean obviously I knew the result but I didn't see any jeopardy for Undertaker in it whatsoever and the result being such a foregone conclusion I thought kind of hurt it a bit if you were to ask 12 year old me (laughs) What my match of the night was, I would have responded with this. If you ask me now, sure as shit is in my match of the night. Since you were 12 years old, your wrestling taste has evolved. Your musical taste seemingly hasn't. (laughs) Depends on how you look at it, I suppose. But hey, I'm still all for Kerrang. This was really, really poor, I thought. And in in many ways, it it kind of felt like a bit of a squash match. I mean, the amount of times that Takers, you know, seemingly had the pin and he'd let Flair up. Okay, but like like a lot of people have criticised WWE for having a very, sometimes having a very kick-punch style of match. And this, for me, was quite symbolic of that, because for bloody ages, that's all it was. Take a right hand, Flair comes back with the right hand, you know, or chop. Take a hit to right hand, there's a big boot, and that's all it was for ages. It just got really repetitive. I will say that it was hilarious seeing The Undertaker get the first chop that he had from Flair, because, my God, you could tell that hurt him because he saw the shit out of that. So, And I've heard interviews of Undertaker talking about being chopped by Flair, and suffice to say, he's not a fan of it. But Flair always loved doing it because he's basically said he's got a big old chest to be able to do it again. So that makes sense. I didn't think that this was up to much. It just took too long to get going. I I enjoyed the the Arn Anderson spinebuster, I must admit. At the time, I literally was like, who the fuck? Fuck is Arn Anderson? Who's this guy? Why is he involved? I have no idea. Uh, it's just funny to look back at that now. The super. Sorry, Matt, can I just clarify? I, that was I was using sarcasm there. That 
basically Undertaker thought it was a shitty WCW spinebuster, but it was a good spinebuster. In case that the best jokes are always the ones that you need to explain. So that's why I thought I'd just explain that. That, that that's all good, no problems. Um, it, it it was quite funny, yes, to see Taker do that. Yeah, <laughs> fuck off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right out and, and power out. The the superplex that Taker hit Flair with, I. I I did think was really good because again, you know, Flay did really sell the shit out of that. That was good. Then, you know, like, you know, we commented on the finish. It, it just looked really odd. It, it was a great tombstone. I'll definitely say that. I thought that was one of the better tombstones that, that I remember seeing Taker do. But in terms of, like I said, I, I want to try and dwell on some of the positives of this because this was towards the start of the Taker heel turn and, you know, going into his, you know, big evil, you know, t- type of sort of uh, heel turn. And he was really good at it. You know, he was really good at this point at playing the heel and I felt he did a lot of things that did differentiate from his previous babyface, you know, sort of run. So I did enjoy heel taker, I must admit. It wasn't a great match. The entrance, Undertaker coming out on the bike to roll in. Hell yes, let's keep that going. But yeah, I, I do think this is aged quite badly, which which is a shame. Not not the best match of the night. Well, I've got some bad news for you, Matt, because this is the last you will see of The Undertaker as the American badass on this WrestleMania run. Because you've already done WrestleMania 19, so that's all that. So after this, it's back to the dead man. Sorry, Matt. It was a brief stint as the American badass, and thankfully it was brief. The zombie shit is coming back. (sighs) On the plus side, Matt, that means that Booger Red isn't going to be said again by Jim Ross. reason why I was I perhaps didn't react to your joke about the Spinebuster Steven is I was reading up about what the fuck Booger Red was. In fairness to Jerry Lawler, he even says what the hell is Booger yeah, Red, yeah. summing up everybody's thoughts at this point. So he talks about the fact that this is a reference to the great Texas linebacker, the late Tommy Nobis, who wore number 60. He had like a 20 inch neck, red hair. It's all his all through school because this was such a fierce hitter at six foot three, probably 245 pounds. He was huge for that position during that era. He unhinged people. His nickname was Booger Red. I've been like, so, fu- so fucking what? Like, this is yeah. fu- this is so niche and old and stupid. Like, no one cares. Like, go. Like, I know American football is a big thing in America, right? I get it. But this is kind of like me going, oh, yeah, I remember the great Carlisle United fucking striker from <laughs> 1993. And his nickname was Booger Red. And oh, that, that's why the, we call the... Like, what? what, why? Why are you doing this? Like, is, a fraction of your audience is going to understand it. And certainly not an international audience is going to understand it anyway. Yeah, this was at the lower end of what Jim Ross did as a commentator sometimes. I think he he overvalued perhaps sometimes how much people care about other things outside of pro wrestling. Um, certainly the things that he cares about, he overvalues in terms of the importance. To your point earlier on about Jerry Lawler's commentary, Stephen, this is where I was like, God, he's so insufferable. Like, what is he doing? He's just doing my head in all the way through this. I think, to counter your point though, Stephen, about Jerry Lawler being any good, I think if you go back to the mid-90s, that's where Jerry Lawler is at his best. Because it's not in the period where WWE are doing their scantily clad stuff. It's still family friendly. So Jerry Law is just doing the kind of Bobby Heenan shtick. And it is, I think, much, much better than this. So I think he's really good then. But the minute the Attitude Era hits, he starts to become really quite annoying through a lot of it. Especially later and especially after he returns following his brief period away from the company in 2001. Of course, Lauder's return was the other thing that happened the night after Survivor Series as well. That was the night he came back. On the match itself, for me, this was the best match other than Hogan versus Rock on the show. I thought this was pretty decent. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty dramatic. Obviously, Flair bled because that's all he did at the time. Classic kind of Flair contest of this period. He does a very similar match with Vince McMahon at the Rumble in this year. It's kind of just take every shortcut, take every chance possible that you can. 
to distract the fans with the fact that you're not really doing anything particularly. And I thought it was decent. A bit strange the end. As I said, I, I just think Ric Flair couldn't get up for the last ride. Or maybe he said, Matt, he just decided actually on the, on the in the moment, he's like, I'm actually, I'm not, I don't fancy taking this move. I'll, I'll just, just tombstone me and we'll do it that way. I feel like this match was put in to give The Undertaker another name on his streak. Uh, by this point, they were quoting the fact that he was 9-0 and and this was his 10th victory. And I thought, in fairness, if you look back at the names that he's beaten, he's already beaten some quite big legacy stars, even from the beginning, regardless of what we think on this podcast. And we made that very clear in the past. Jimmy Snooker was his first victory. And that, even though at the time, Jimmy Snooker was a complete like lower mid-card or mid-card guy, actually, legacy-wise, it was a big name in terms of having him beaten. Jake Roberts, you know, you move on to like Triple H and you've you've got some bigger name Kane, obviously. This was a chance to add another big legacy name to that list of, of opponents. So I think that was really what this was about. Again, though, I'd have just preferred, to be honest, both The Undertaker and Ric Flair to not be on this show because I'm just not a fan of Undertaker during this period. I just find his overall work in the ring not particularly good. I don't care for the character particularly. His personal reaction to especially the t- during the invasion the wcw guys just always turned me off him massively during this period i just felt it was like as i said last time we did the podcast he was so bad and he was so like selfish they had to bring in his best mates to face him in a match at like unforgiven or whatever it was and they absolutely stunk out of the place one of the worst matches in history so yeah just just an undertaker not for me at this period but this was a decent match but even charles robinson didn't escape the undertaker's wrath during this as after the match no. he gets a cruise line as well Backstage, Michael Cole interviews Booker T, who is wearing glasses. Booker says he is a highly intelligent man. He's wearing glasses. Uh-huh. <laughs> Booker says he was commended at school for his work on the theory of relatives. Cole laughs at him. Booker then says some more stuff. Good promo, but I couldn't keep up with all the all the different stuff I wanted to write down, so I didn't. Matt didn't like oh. it. Too much fun for Matt. Yes, because this was funny. He's got glasses. He's intelligent. <laughs> I thought this was really funny. I thought this was really enjoyable. I thought Booker T entered into the spirit of this really well, and I liked it. I I, I commend Booker T on his uh, on his ability here to elicit some form of reaction in what was effectively a mid card position that he now found himself. I, I just laugh to myself sometimes and just think this is the company that want to win an Emmy. I, I I enjoyed Booker T's promo here. What I didn't enjoy was again for me. Booker T was somebody that should have absolutely been a victory coming out of the invasion. Now, during the invasion, they should have positioned him better. And coming out of it, he should have been a main event star. In this match, it's Booker T versus Edge. It's a only six and a half minute match. Edge hits a spear, does the spinner Rooney. Then there's a nice little uh, sort of exchange of counter moves. And then Edge hits Edgecution DDT and gets the win. Now, I watched this and thought, they're pushing the wrong guy. For me, Booker T is a far more star quality i can't think of the word but i just felt like booker t was the guy that they should have been pushing to the top not edge or trying to push at this point again for me edge wasn't just wasn't there at this point he wasn't he wasn't at the at the point where he i, I in fairness they're not pushing him to the moon they're just giving him a nice mid-card push but booker t for me was a was a far more surefire main event guy than edge I actually think a better wrestler as well than Edge, personally. I've just always, I've, I've always been high on Booker T. I think athletically and in terms of what he could do in the ring, he was, he's just, he was excellent. And I thought his promo, regardless of whether it was funny or not, was at least entertaining, kept people interested in him, even at a time when they were giving him utter shit to work with and should have been getting the, the reward for the years of hard work he did in WCW where he really didn't get much until right at the end of the company's um, existence. Meanwhile, Edge just, 
for me i'm i'm not as high on edge and in general overall so i was just i was just disappointed really in this match again just general feeling of everything's not going to the right people <laughs> and this was another feeling for me here um matt what did you make of this one Do you know what I, I totally get what you're saying there, because I, what I was going to say to start was, again, how things change and how the mighty have fallen. I mean, Booker T was not too long ago, was main eventing SummerSlam versus The Rock. Now, don't get me wrong. I know he was never, other than really sort of that feud with The Rock and the odd sort of bits with Steve Austin, he was never really positioned as a really top threat heel. So they never really, truly believed that he was one of the top guys. So I get that. But looking at this, yeah, I kind of do feel that the wrong guy won. Now, saying that, looking at what Edge did throughout his, particularly throughout like this sort of 2000 and, you know, throughout 2002, Edge was a really, really important part of SmackDown and really held his own in some really great matches. And this was this was definitely the start of the edge sort of mid-card sort of push. And in all fairness, I do think that he definitely earned it afterwards. So not the best start here. And I do think perhaps the Booker T should have won. But going forward, Edge did certainly earn the right to, to, to get that push, I think. But, but match quality-wise, I mean, the, the you know, speaking of signs as well earlier, Stephen, there was a sign in the crowd that pretty much summed this up. They're fighting over shampoo. If ever there was a storyline that they clearly came up with last minute just to get some guys on the show, this was it. It was over a supposed Japanese shampoo commercial that Edge got over Booker T. Okay, great. At least it's something, I guess. But you wouldn't tell because this was what, like I said, it was about six minutes. And, you know, in fact, I have a funny feeling that they were probably given more time, but it was cut because it felt like they were rushing straight from the off. Really wasn't a lot to it. Quite disappointed, actually. It wasn't that great a match. And like I said, I, I do think perhaps Booker T should have got, got the win. Booker, I think, had some had some real potential over the next probably 12 months or so to be a real top, I'm not sure top baby face, but a real upper echelon baby face in this company. But I'm sure, Ben, you and the guys covered it when you did nine WrestleMania 19, and I certainly did recently when I went back and looked and watched that. But the, the finish of that match, they kind of killed him and never went with him. And I do understand that Goldberg was coming in, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes you've got to pull the trigger on someone and, and kind of change things. But yeah, I, I agree, Ben. I think Booker T's definitely got more upside around this time, even though Edge sort of came into his own in four years later, 2006, with the run-in with Cena. But that's a long time into the future. My final point on this match, what on earth was Edge's music? And did you like it, Matt? And if you did, I, I you know, I might be... Bit of harsh this, about your music. Is this the Rob taste. Zombie? Rob yeah, Zombie. Rob, Just, Rob Zombie, Sinister Urge. What a fucking great song! Oh my gosh, another really generic, boring rock. Oh, song. this, this, this is peak edge. This is. <laughs> Love it. Wow, Matt, Matt, you're never going to stop, are you? Oh my God. Now that's a pun. I love it. <laughs> so good. I mean, I didn't hate that song as much as I hated the previous stuff that we talked about, but I, it's not particularly my type of thing. It's, it is very still drudgy, dull American rock. I was gutted when they changed Walter Bridge. <laughs> I've got a lot of emotion here bubbling to the surface about this whole promotion at this time. And, you know, you just brought up the Booker T Triple H match, which again, kind of just another thing where I'm just like, oh, what are they doing? So we move on. Backstage, Hurricane is sneaking around now still and Coach catches up with him for an an interview. Molly Holly then hits Hurricane with a frying pan and pins him. Now, in fairness, Matt, this time at least it wasn't a kick. It was a proper frying pan <laughs> to the skull. That might have killed him, let alone pinned him. He's great. 
That that's great. That's that I can buy as a proper <laughs> as a proper finish. She clocked him over the head with a frying pan. Brilliant. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. And kind of turning on him as well at the same time, obviously, because she's supposed to be his sidekick. Yeah. Then there's oh, go on. Sorry. What was that? <laughs> I just went bitch. <laughs> Such a misogynist. That's man. not very Such progressive, Matt. <laughs> There's then a video package with Vince saying he's going to inject WWE with a lethal dose of poison. The NWO costing Austin the title, I think, at No Way Out. Austin kidnapping Scott Hall. Hall asking Austin to prove he's the toughest SOB in the WWE. It's all building up to Steve Austin's match with Scott Hall. Any thoughts on the package? Any thoughts on the build? Didn't uh, Austin pour alcohol over Scott Hall when Scott Hall was on some tablets that alcohol made him vomit or something, which is unsavoury? I think mm. that is a thing, yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny because when uh, Austin comes out to the ring, his jacket says alcohol fueled. Mm. Now, given the problems him- he himself was having with alcohol at this point and would have for the rest of the year, that would result in probably Austin's most unsavoury time in his life effectively and the very real alcohol issues that have been well documented by, by this point with scott hall i thought alcohol fueled was quite an apt tagline for this match in general really and on that austin comes to the ring first which i again thought what's going on here like i i you know just it's austin he can't be coming out first here this is just mad this was all mad unfortunately mad and bad yes it's scott yeah. hall versus steve austin is a 10 minute match austin for 10 minutes Austin for 10 minutes. This is the guy that in 2001 was unquestionably the best wrestler in North America without a shadow of a doubt. 10 minute match at WrestleMania. Effectively, Austin stuns Scott Hall twice and then pins him, celebrates with a beer after the contest. Stephen. What a waste of Steve Austin. What, he had one more WrestleMania match after this and you put him in with scott hall yeah i just thought this was so such a waste of him and, and actually so, so was a lot of 2001 i just think you can there's ways to do if, if you have the guts to do the wcw angle and you really build up ddp and you really build up booker tears legitimate threats to the wf guys and it doesn't really matter that you haven't got hogan or goldberg because you present them as equal and that's the way to do it but no one's really got apart from maybe i suppose you can say that the early portion of the nwr angle no one's really got an invasion angle right in north america um and I thought ever since you know that that invasion pay-per-view did what the 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 biggest non-wrestlemania buy rate in company history and that was largely off the back of steve austin turning babyface and the week before it happened because people were people really wanted that i was a big steve austin fan and i really wanted that but yeah this going through the match that why the second referee didn't dq hall for when nash attacked the first one i don't know they did their best the crowd sort of got into it at at the end but again i just don't think there's many people on the planet that wanted this attraction at wrestlemania scott hall stunner bump does still look great 21 years on though i mean you you hit a lot of the stuff on the head there see what i mean i've said it multiple times and this is a bit of a theory in this show what a difference a year makes to for stone cold steve austin to go from that main event versus the rock last year to this spot on the show wow i don't know this for sure i can only assume that they were possibly looking at doing austin versus each member of the nwo separately because he did say during the intro package one member you know we talked about scott hall one member of the nwo going down so i'm assuming perhaps they were maybe going to do sort of one by one that's what they were thinking of i don't know the whole presentation of what's meant to be they they one of their biggest guys yeah you know for him coming out first no like the video package i don't think did him any favors because just talking about how he used to be awesome and seeing all like his previous highlights and then seeing where he is at that moment was again it just came across as really sad 
Mm. Um, the match itself is, I, I felt the Steve was on the back foot and selling for way too much of it. And yeah, they just, there wasn't a lot. It felt like a, maybe a TV TV match, TV main event, maybe. The the bumps that Scott Hall took were for the Stone Cold Stunners were, were the highlight, absolutely. And that's it. Um, what a tragic waste of Stone Cold Steve Austin on your biggest show of the year. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think... Steve Austin, as you said, one more. I, I have to pull you up on that, Stephen, because he did have two more. Because obviously he oh, had one at well. WrestleMania 38 as well. Do we count that? Well, I think we have to, don't we? I, I, think I was there. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, I, I listened back to our WrestleMania 19 episode recently because I'm just about we're going to repost it next week and listen to what we said. And we did say in that point, oh, this is his last match. Because at that time, we had no clue that he was going to have, have one more match for WrestleMania 38. So it's easy to forget. I get it completely. But yes effectively for his main run this was mm. his last but one wrestlemania and it's against scott hall matt i don't believe for a second they were going to have him go through the whole nwo because i believe that austin rejected a match with hogan at this show so i believe the original plan was austin hogan and austin said no i'm not i'm not facing him i think austin in general of all the people in the company was the most put out by the nwo signings i think he absolutely wanted nothing to do with them coming in i think he felt very very put out by that and i think probably was also considering the fact that either it's interesting Stephen, when you say about they wasted austin during 2001 i don't necessarily agree with that i think they made a bad mistake in turning him heel but i don't think they wasted him i think what he did in 2001 was excellent yeah all the way through but i think it could have been even even higher i think uh, maybe maybe but i don't think i don't think they wasted him i think they wasted in in the long run they wasted his star power like mm. that was where they completely ruined it both times both times he turned heel they ruined the star power they ruined the, this this idea that this was you know a super absolutely mega star but i don't think they wasted him in terms of what they had him do i think what he did was actually really valuable really great like if you go back and watch raw that year he's pretty much carrying the show nearly time, all yeah. year round like he's just phenomenal all the way through the year both in the ring and outside the ring he's just magnificent so i don't think they really they waste him but i think where they wasted what they'd done it, again i go back to that thing of you've done it now keep him heel just keep him heel you can't go back to what you had before you made him a heel it's you know maybe you can do it in four or five years but you can't do it now the fans have been too let down by him you've got to just ro- roll with him being a heel and don't bring in the nwo do those two things and we're fine i think <laughs> i think uh, austin probably carries on yeah i remember uh, very, you know very anecdotal stuff in terms of just my my sort of wider friendship group so i think i mentioned on the wrestlemania 16 podcast that that was the biggest turnout i would ever had at my parents for wrestlemania and that was like the the, the biggest sort of deal now a bit like you ben most of my friends went off to university in what autumn 2000 so the few of the guys that were, were, were around with me that didn't go by this summer a few friends would you know come over and watch sort of smackdown but they're like i don't what all these wcw guys doing and also i really don't like seeing steve austin as a heel so, and i think that was i think jim ross has talked about it sort of john wayne should ever be the bad guy and i think those steve austin stuff was was highly entertaining i can forgive wrestlemania 17 i can forgive that absolutely they that you know steve austin wanted to do it he wanted to do it the year earlier they pull the trigger but that invasion one is absolutely unforgivable you had you had to have steve austin as the head of the wwf turn jericho and make him the top star in wcw turn an angle and make him the top star in wcw or turn someone other than steve austin and you've got enough there even without the hogans and all that sort of stuff and then you could bring those suits any in terms of the, the longer term planning out of this show any planning that vince mcmahon was making with kevin nash's body was completely broken down or scott hall with all the problems he had or hulk hogan who okay you might he might want to do business for a couple of months but 
Hogan's gone by the summer and then he wouldn't be around again until WrestleMania the following year and then he's gone really soon after that so any any long-term planning with these guys is insanity so you've got to protect what you've got and I, and I think that Steve Austin really wasn't perhaps wasted is the wrong way of putting it I think protected that star power from whatever it was July 2001 to this point, I'm not sure you've done much to protect him, really. Oh, it's interesting. I still, I still strongly believe that he, the damage was done at WrestleMania 17. I really yeah. think, yeah, I don't think. I think even if they just kept him babyface after the invasion, he would have been less of a star. You turned him heel. You've had him do it now. You can't. Mm. It is the toothpaste back into the tube analogy. You can't undo this. This I think is those too- reactions and the buy buy rate made me think that there was something there still. Maybe, and maybe you're right. Obviously, the the buy rate from WrestleMania 17, which was over a million for the first time this was down by about 200,000 compared to mm. that so WrestleMania 18 had, had lopped off and they lose even more before <laughs> leading into WrestleMania 19 yeah. I just think that once you did it at WrestleMania 17 that was the end of Austin being a megastar unless he's a really great heel and unfortunately he wasn't they didn't do enough in those early months to make him a significantly great heel Plus, the other weird thing about it is that there's a whole bunch of confusing stuff about Triple H should have been a babyface by the time WrestleMania 17 came along. There's also the thing that The Rock's leaving to go away and do a film. So you're like, it's just not the ideal time for Austin to be a heel no, because you no kind of faces. need... There's no babyface. So, yeah. you know, Triple H needed to have turned in order for this to work, but it, mm. it just, he didn't do it. And it's, it's really strange. The next night I'm Raw in Fort Worth, so I was at that again. Um, Triple H, when his music hit, and Steve, it was Steve Austin was in the rock in the cage. And I, I can't remember how it finished, but obviously it was like some schmoz. When his music hit, the, the crowd absolutely erupted. And if you and that's the moment. If you're turning Steve Austin heel, you have to turn Triple H babyface there. And then they got together and it was a, it was another groaner. It was a, it was a it was a groan. The air was out of that Fort Worth crowd that had been electric all night long. And it's like, you haven't done it. For what reason? I, and I never really understand what that, whether they were going to come back to that and, you know, the two-man power trip were together and Triple H was eventually going to turn. But that was the moment, I thought, that if you're going to pull the trigger. And again, Triple H never really got back to that that point in time as a babyface. He never got back to, I didn't think, in that 2002 run. Well, I mean, I'd go further than that. I, I think Triple H should already have been a babyface by WrestleMania yeah. 17. He should have turned babyface during his feud with Angle. Ultimately, that should have been where he turned babyface in the autumn of 2000. And mm. then... You book from there, basically, because that's where Triple H. He was reluctant because The Rock and Austin were both babyfaces, and he yeah. didn't he didn't want to lose the top billing. But he, he went back on Austin, didn't he? That was the he, 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 he was knew. sort of tweener, and he went back on Austin, didn't he? I think was the thing. Yeah, he he knew he knew he wasn't. You know, if if he was going to be a babyface, he knew he wasn't going to be as popular as Austin or or The Rock, which is why he always wanted to go heel because he knew. He'd be one of the one of, if not the best heels. But it, the crazy thing was, if at that time he had turned babyface, he would have been the top babyface because The Rock yeah. was going and Austin was turning heel. Yeah. So at that point, it would have made absolute sense. But for whatever reason, they just didn't do it, and and ultimately, I think that's where what led us to this point where Steve Austin now has gone back to being a babyface. It's not as it's just not the same. He's still a main event guy, he's still one of the biggest stars in the company, but the edge has been taken off it massively. He's just not as popular or as big a draw as he was prior to the the heel turn and they're shoving him in this match he's obviously pissed off with the fact the NWA even there as I said he's rejected the match with Hogan 
didn't want it, worried that what happens to The Rock in the match that's to come, we'll talk about in a second, was going to happen to him. And we'll talk about how The Rock deals with it, because I think that's really interesting. And he ultimately would be gone, effectively, two, three months after this. And then he would go through the unsavory part of his life, where he's obviously drinking a lot and is arrested for domestic abuse of Deborah, which is awful and something that doesn't Austin gets a bit of a pass for, I think, for along, amongst wrestling fans, maybe because it was such a long time ago and it feels like it was a, a moment in his life rather than this is a defining character feature of who Austin is. But I don't think we should let him off for it. I think we've got to call him out for being a dick and who probably WWE were too eager to welcome him, welcome him back. And given what he'd done, they probably shouldn't have been quite so eager to do so. I think the Austin, the Austin example, and I could go on a long rant about cancel culture, which I'm not going to do. But the Austin, the Austin thing to me is a classic. I, I love Steve Austin. Let's let's let's. And do I do I think necessarily that someone should be judged on the probably the absolute worst moment of of someone's life? Now, in some instances, yeah, absolutely they should. You absolutely should be judged on that, and there's no coming back. This what this one for Steve Austin. I think if that had been if Steve Austin, if everything in Steve Austin's life had been ten years later, you know, born ten years later and his stardom was ten years later, Steve Austin's not coming back from this. But I think it is an example that if you're at a certain level of stardom, you can pretty much get away with anything. And people, and there's loads of big historic figures over time in all sorts of industries: music, acting, film directors, wrestlers who have done really, really bad stuff and they are, you know, forgiven, you know, whatever the right word is. Whereas small people with smaller names where there's maybe one thing or something questionable has been said about them and they're off the off off, you know, or even not done much at all. Maybe maybe some behaviours that are, you know, being a bit of a dick, but obviously being a bit of a dick is a long way from sort of criminal behaviour. And they're, and they're vilified and they're cancelled. So, yeah, I could go on a half an hour about that, but I probably should stop there before I get myself cancelled myself. Uh, <laughs> to, to maybe to counter a little bit about what you said there is that, and, and you're right, Austin's got off it because he's got a big name and so have others. Mm. But you talked about, should we judge people on their worst moment? And probably not. But at the same time, let's not forget, this is probably the worst moment of Deborah's life as well. And 100%. she's the victim. Yeah, 100%. And so judging him on that is perhaps unfair. But for WWE to very, very quickly turn around and say, oh, well, forget it. It's all forgotten. You may have beaten up your wife, who also, by the way, happens to have been quite loyal worker for us as well during that same period we're just going to forgive that straight away and you're going to come back like that isn't very forgivable in my view in no I, I, we're on the same page with that ben 100 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We're on the same and page. so and i think so i think that's one of my things about I, I i we discussed this before and i think on your show i don't really believe cancel culture exists in the way that people think it does i think most people who are supposedly cancelled seem to get a bigger platform once they've been cancelled than they had beforehand it's it's a figment of our social kind of imagination that they are somehow kind of vilified and then you don't hear of them anymore but on the other side of that if we don't hear of some people because of the uh, actions they've taken is because it might have been the worst point in their life but it was also the worst point in the victims lives of the yeah. people they're talking about or the people they've done something to and therefore if they don't get seen again well so be it because ultimately that person has had to suffer something that they'll never forget about for their life so why should this person be able to allow themselves to forget about it as well i think you put it far more eloquently than i have ben so thank you for providing me with that shovel to sort of get my head over the parapet a little bit there but you're you're, you're right you've nailed it and what you just said there you've nailed it to move on matt what did you think of the match <laughs> thank god you didn't ask me about any of that because i was going to say i don't think i could have added a single bit i think you covered it both brilliantly so nice one just double check we are still on steve austin's scuffle <laughs> we, we are still i on. was wondering yeah we are yeah we are still on wife beater steve austin against scuffle. yes <laughs> 
Ouch. It's fair. That's what he did. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. There wasn't anything to it. It was just, it was, it felt like, you know, again, like a TV match or maybe a TV main event. It was, it was just, it was quite dull. Like you said, I felt that Steve sold far more than he should have done. You know, yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier, Stephen, how, how the hell that Scott Hall didn't get disqualified for Kevin Nash blatantly beating the shit out of referees. Who the hell knows? If this was the position that they were going to put Stone Cold Steve Austin in. I can't even believe I'm actually making this as a suggestion, but if that's the way they were going to go, fuck it. They may as well have been in a handicap match and then Stone Cold versus Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Would it have been any better? Probably not. But if if that's kind of the route they were going with Kevin Nash at ringside, it was a nothing match anyway. Why don't you get them both on there? And just make it a handicap match. But what a terrible use of Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's not a very good match. It's, it's, it's all right. It's average. It's, it's fine. But it's, it's not Austin quality. It's not what WrestleMania should be for Austin. And this really is the bit where, for me, it, it really typifies why I really had a problem with WWE at this point. And, and this is probably a little bit most misguided in itself. But I always felt like Austin, Rock, Foley, Triple H and Undertaker to a lesser extent, they won the Monday Night War. And suddenly, and we'll get onto this when we when we do the Rock Hogan match, but suddenly Rock's persona non grata, fans are booing him and shit. Austin's being pushed to the side. Mick Foley's retired, obviously. And you've got Hogan and you've got Flair and you've got Kevin Nash and you've got Scott Hall and they're coming into prominent positions in the company. And you're like, these fucking guys already fucking fucked up WWE. Now they're coming in, fucking up WWE. And I just don't want them. And I really didn't like it. I was it, This really turned me off this period. Massively turned me off of, re- of wrestling in general. And wrestling in general, because at the time... WCW didn't exist, ECW didn't exist, TNA didn't yet exist, nor did Ring of Honor. We're talking about the only major North American wrestling promotion in the in the. Uh, and I, when I say North America, I tend to exclude Mexico from that because, in wrestling terms, they are different uh, regions of the world. But even Mexico, the peso had crashed, the, you know, the business wasn't as good over there. In Japan, there had been problems, you know, in terms of the different talent exoduses from various different companies at the time, which had played havoc with the with an industry that was already on the turn anyway. Had gone down from the mid 90s. So basically, WWE was wrestling for this period of time. It really was, was as close as it's ever been to wrestling. And it was then this, and I just didn't get on with it at all. And I always felt during 99, 2000, 2001, especially during that 2000 and 2001, because Austin was injured for most of 2000, because Triple H was injured for most of 2001, Austin and The Rock or Austin or Rock and Triple H were actually quite generous with the way they worked with most of the rest of the roster. You know, I can remember Triple H having matches with Takamish Noko and the Brooklyn Brawler. He had a match with Taz on SmackDown, which was a really quite competitive match just after Taz won the ECW world title at that time when Mike Awesome moved to WCW. Now, don't get me wrong. They did it to show that the WWE was superior to ECW, but it still was a competitive match. It made Taz look as good as he had done his entire run in WWE. Triple H had a great match with Rikishi, which I mentioned on the WrestleMania 2000 show in early 2000 on SmackDown. Um, The Rock was working with all kinds of different people to give them a little bit of a push. And then whenever the three of them were suddenly on screen, they all seemed to get much more selfish and you saw a lot less kind of of that kind of giving and then that just went completely out the window the minute the nwo and rick flair came in because they were like now we've really got to protect our positions because these guys are coming in and and vince these people these people are like to turn vince's head because he's a weird guy (laughs) he's just weird and i think that they brought in the nwo because they were worried about this wrestlemania they didn't 
think they had the steam to make it a major show and they might have been right because of the fact they did what they did with austin and so which is why i still go back to they should have kept austin as a heel and had the rock versus austin babyface versus heel for both titles in the main event i don't see what the problem with that is i'm just gonna say though like i know it was a drop in terms of pay-per-view buys from the last year right but 800 i think it was yeah eight hundred and sixty thousand is not bad oh no it's not bad Really good, actually. Especially in the era before UK buys. So this is just North America, isn't it, basically? Yeah. yeah. And it, just, it is a significant drop-off, though, from the previous year, like 200,000. Yeah. And, may, and maybe they were right. Maybe they needed the NWO to come in to maintain that high level. But long-term, I think you see the buy rate for the following year. Of course. And, it, and, it, and I think that's why that buy rate is so bad, because long because they've not thought long-term about this one. And it's just it's a very short-termist, let's get all these guys in and have these matches. So, you then get some footage of WWF access, same as usual, except Triple H spitting all over the crowd, which is the one thing I noticed. (laughs) And also, women going on about loving The Undertaker was another... I'm not sure if he was almost like dumbfounded because he was like, you don't need to fucking cry about it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Humanitarian of the year, The Undertaker. (laughs) Yeah. I just have to say, access was fucking dreadful in 2002 they sold so many tickets it was so packed you couldn't walk around at all and also we met on the friday night some people that thought rest legitimately thought wrestling was real locals from toronto and were complaining about i was disgusting that they hurt stephanie and triple h's dog and that was really bad and like we were thinking about not watching wrestlemania like really and these were like normal looking people. So like probably a little bit older than me, like early 20s. So yeah, you get some strange ones out there. Very quickly mm. for me as well. I, I, have, I have to laugh. Um, when they interviewed Stacey Keebler and like her opinion on the, the statue they had of her legs and her ass and just the way she described it was quite like nice. Whereas you could tell she was dying to say, look at these fucking pervs. You just know that's what she really wanted to say. It was being very nice and polite about it. Then there's the four-way tag team match, which we've discussed already. Then we've got backstage Hall and Nash saying Hall's better than Austin after Hall had lost to Austin. Um, Hogan then joins them and asks them to stay away from the ring as he has to do this on his own as he gets ready for his match with The Rock. Hall and Nash clearly aren't looking convinced about that approach. Then is the video package for The Rock versus Hulk Hogan. Hogan says the fans drove him away and says he's the biggest star in wrestling. The Rock then challenges Hogan to a match at WrestleMania and Hogan accepts the challenge and the rock hits the rock bottom then various moments leading to this show it's all ahead of hogan versus the rock a 16 and a half minute match which is won by the rock after he hits the people's elbow after the match hogan struggles to his feet and then extends a hand for the rock looking all sad and clutching his ribs as as only hogan does hall and nash then confront hogan and attack him the rock runs in and makes a save then the rock encourages hogan who's about to leave to join him in a pose in front of the crowd the crowd love it uh they then leave the ring together steven you were at the show yep were you one of the people booing the rock um was i one of the people booing the rock I don't know. I don't think I was really because I, I so so I didn't have I've written in my notes. I didn't have a dog in this fight. But my friend Lewis, who I was with, is the, is no, I wouldn't say the world's biggest rock fan because I've given him too many plaudits. But he's a very big rock fan. And not to skip too far forward, but during the Hulk, Hulk up spot, I looked at him and he had genuine fear in his eyes that this because because he was like Austin beat the rock last year. 
I spent all this money on this. Is Hulk Hogan going to beat The Rock here? And he like was so, so scared. But I, I don't think I just I just kind of watched this and just drunk it in. I was I was I did get into cheering for Hogan. I was one of these stupid brats that didn't like Rock going to Hollywood. And now 20 whatever years on, I feel like a bit of an idiot for that. But and he played it up very nicely the following year. But no, sorry, I'll, 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 that's that question answered. Yeah, no, I wasn't. So tell me, what did you think of the match? The pre-match video was tremendous, aside from the vehicle stuff, and I just thought this was an absolute mm. moment in time. As as I said, I didn't I didn't have a particular favourite in this, so I could just enjoy it. Uh, and I thought The Rock deserved so much praise for going with the crowd and healing it up. Uh, you know, while he'd been everywhere and done everything, we're talking about a guy with about seven years of experience at this point, not some sort of multi-decade veteran. Hulk as well, um, his mannerisms, a glance to the crowd. You know, this is why this guy drew at such a high level and was the person to strap the rocket ship to in 1984. Just, you know, charisma at an altogether higher level. I enjoyed Hulk Hogan tapping to the sharpshooter, even though it would have been better had Brett Hart had it on. <laughs> I rewound a bit from the rock bottom Hogan kick out to rock kicking out the leg drop. That is just like, if you want to show some on 30 seconds of professional wrestling uh, i mean crikey that this has got to be up there you know you know i'd, I'd probably say this was this is something to show someone other than a rather than a you know triple flip moonsault or something this was this was pure electric magic uh, and i don't even care about some of the you know some of the more awkward moments in in this match i thought this was absolute wrestling perfection from start to finish five stars all day long that's quite the glowing review that is into the polar bear. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> nah, you. Uh, for the most part, I, I do. I do. In fact, fuck it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start with the bit that, that I don't like. I actually think this is aged just a little bit. Not massively, but just a little bit. So I didn't quite enjoy it as much as I did the first time round. Now, getting that bit out of the way, you want to talk, and we've we've certainly mentioned, you know, how great Hogan is with the crowd. You want to talk about a masterclass in getting people on your side and invested in what you're doing. Exhibit A. Here it is. Hogan was so bloody good at getting people involved in what he was doing. You know, in terms of, you know, move-wise, hold for hold, no, it wasn't the most technically proficient match you've ever seen. But it, you know what? It didn't need to be. It really didn't need to be. And there's not many matches of that type that I would enjoy as much because I'll admit I'm, I I do prefer the, the sort of frills, so to speak, in, in terms of matches. But the crowd support was just so bloody enormous for them both. Well, I say for them both. I mean, it was loud. But yeah, let's face it. This was a Hogan crowd, which on a side note, at the time of watching this, I can't remember if I genuinely didn't know Hulk Hogan was or was very unfamiliar with him. I'll, de- I'll definitely say I was definitely very unfamiliar with him. So when The Rock got booed to the extent he did at the time, baffled me. I was thinking, what the fuck? Why are people? It's The Rock. Just didn't understand it. And I didn't understand the importance of the match as well. And looking back at it now, it's quite funny because I remember in school at one point I had a free lesson and I was dying to watch this. So I thought, right, yeah, I'm going to stick this on. And I remember a teacher in my class, shout out to Mike Oliver uh, from Lewis School Penguin, um, who was one of the best teachers I ever had, uh, saw that I was watching this match. 
he wasn't a big wrestling fan, but he was aware of it. And he stopped what he was doing and came up and sat down and watched it. He was like, Hulk Hogan's still here. And I, I obviously had to, you know, give him a little bit of context and everything. But he's like, wow, it's Hogan. And he super got into it. So even then I was like, wow, I guess this Hogan fella was a big deal. Which, you know, is just laughable for me to think of it now. But in terms of the match, I mean, I, I can tell you how memorable it was for me. When I was taking notes for, for this, from the, the, the Hulk up spot for the rest of the match... I didn't have to take a single note because I remembered exactly what happened, when it happened, because it still is burned into my brain because it was such a big deal. The Hulk up spot was just great. It it was one of the best Hulk up spots I've really ever seen. The commentary from JR, everybody has their favorite sort of commentary call, but Jim Ross losing his frigging mind saying he beat Andre the Giant with that move on that. That's my favorite Jim Ross call ever. Like, I know a lot of people think about, like, the Mankind of the Hell in a Cell. Nah, Jim Ross saying that will forever be in my brain as the best call he's ever made. The, the finish of The Rock getting the people's elbow I thought was great. Definitely felt the right man won. Obviously, it was meant to be heel versus babyface, you know, in terms of that dynamic. Didn't perhaps go that way. And I think The Rock sort of saw the writing on the wall and, and kind of tried to adapt to it mid-match by, you know, doing some subtle heel things. The way he tried to rig the ref after a ref bump was quite aggressive. You know, like at one point, he sort of, you know, when Hogan and Rock were shoving each other back and forth, he sort of shoved him and was like, you will fucker just and like the look on his face was quite aggressive and i felt they went with it post-match nwo beat down okay do you know what they they thought yeah he's hogan's baby face let's fucking go with it and doing the whole pose down was great rock was quite funny trying to get hogan to pose yeah i mean like i said again you want to see a master class of people not having to do that much but still getting over exhibit a I'm a little bit on your side, Matt, here. I didn't like it as much as I did at the time. I really did like it at the time. And I I said, I watched it a number of times in the weeks after the show, just to kind of re-experience what was a phenomenal atmosphere you know just an incredible atmosphere and you know just phenomenal the the reaction to hogan and in particular when he kicks out of the rock bottom and hulks up and that bit is just wow you know absolutely chills but there was something holding me back and i think again it's that um, the emotion of the of the thing for me i really hate really hate the fan reaction to the rock i just absolutely hate it because in 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 context of, of hogan as well if some of it is about all the rocks going off to make another movie well hogan did that so fuck off Hogan's already done it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Also, throughout this period, and this is where I kind of really have to big up The Rock, and I've never been, I've never considered The Rock to be the best, if you like, although I think he's phenomenal. But during this period, The Rock's the only one who's got the self-confidence and also keeps his shit together. It just does, just goes with it. Here he is. Austin refuses the match with Hogan, so they give it to The Rock. The Rock just goes, you know what, I'll do it. You know, I know he's going to be like this. I know what he's going to be like, but it's fine. I'm, I already, I'm confident enough that I can, I can bat it away. Even if they do boo me during this match, I will still be a massive star, and I'll just go ahead and do it. Does this on the way out of the company? Loses to Lesnar clean. Loses to Goldberg clean. Absolutely top professional, 100% during this period. And this was just another part of that. And I just thought that's why it really pisses me off the fan reaction to the Rock. Because I just feel like you guys think you're all insider and really clever because you know the rock's going off to go film some movie and that's why you're booing him but 
if you want insider, if you want really to appreciate the people that are doing the best for you and your viewing pleasure, look at The Rock because he is that man. He is the one doing everything he possibly can to ensure that there are stars when he goes on the way out and that he just does what he's got to do, gets in there and does the work that you know he's supposed to. And that really took a notch off the match for me. And I know that's ridiculous because it's nothing to do with what happens in the in the ring. But it is so key to the reactions of the of the fans in this match. And I felt very similar at the time. I think I wasn't able able to articulate those feelings like I can now, which is why I really liked the match a, a bit more than I do now. I still think it's phenomenal. It's a great piece of work. And I do love that they have to do so little to elicit the reaction. And I think all wrestling could be still like this, if I'm honest. But everybody's trying to do everything every single match back to Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks in a six-man tag match third match on the show in the first hour of a four-hour event trying to put on a five-star classic not only undercutting everything that comes after it but also raising the bar for what everybody has to put themselves through in order to elicit a reaction is counterproductive in my view it doesn't do anything for anybody it's what leads to us needing you know masses of painkillers and what leads to painkiller addiction ultimately because everybody has to throw themselves off stuff everyone has to do stupid stuff all of the time just because nobody's willing to go actually i'm third on the show i should probably rein it in a bit here and just have a standard decent little match i think that's reflective of there's no one in wrestling today not reigns not not even cody that are anywhere near as over as these two were or steve austin was at his pump and i guess that you know it's the old it's the old saying isn't it you do you do all the flips to try and get over on the on the on the indies and but, but that's the thing I, I guess in AEW you could certainly make an argument that they've not they've not tried to push the people to try and get someone through to that level in the right way but but going back to going back to the rock i think that i think in high, hindsight sir Certainly for me, hindsight's a wonderful thing because I was, I, as I said, I was one of these people. I was like, oh, I really want the rock around. You sold out, all this sort of crap. And actually, I kind of changed my mind a little bit the year after this. The night after WrestleMania 19, but he was brilliant all night long in uh, Seattle. I think it was Rock Appreciation Night or something, was it, Matt? Do you remember? Uh, and then Goldberg came out and killed him at the end. And then afterwards, yeah. everyone was like, Rocky sucks, Rocky sucks. Sure, this is on like a WrestleMania DVD or something somewhere. And he baby fate, like that, that crowd, the Key Arena in Seattle, whatever it was, 12,000. By the end, everyone, me included, I was burning him out the building, was chanting Rocky, and I'm like, he's, he's got me, he's got me. Because as you said, Ben, I, I, he, he had the confidence just to go with this. This isn't a 20-year veteran. This is someone that's been around six or seven years, and he just had the confidence. He had the bollocks. And to be fair to him, you're, you're absolutely right. And I hadn't really thought about it too much about, you know, Rock was always selfless. But the, what he's done on the way out of the company, he agreed to come back for a run, like a three-year program of Cena, where the eventual result is, the Rock loses, and like you know, he you know he worked with CM Punk a couple of times during that time as well, and, and I think he did quite a lot for Punk, you know, in that in that match at the Royal Rumble that did a did a really good buy rate as well. So props to him, you know, I I, I think he should have probably, for, given where his career is, I think he probably should have come back at this this past year's WrestleMania. I think he probably needs a bit of a, a shot of something now. But yeah, the Rock the Rock is one of the best all time and just incredible, and I think he is certainly someone that I look back on more fondly um, than maybe I did at the time. The, the fan resentment towards, you know, like The, the Rock for going away to do a film. And, and not just that, but because it still goes on even today, you know, when they say ah, they, they sold out and part timers. And I can't stand this. Oh, this just mentality of going after people for things like that. Like, like I think Brock Lesnar is, is a prime example. And, and you, you know, you see it online and you, you probably heard people say that, oh, 
I hate this Brock Lesnar guy because he doesn't love the business, you know. He's a businessman and wrestling is a job, people. <laughs> for these people, it's their job. If he can get as much money for his limited dates, and this is for any wrestler, great. It's just the, some fans have this idea of they have to do it for the love of the love of it and the art. And I know that's just a slight sort of rant aside, but I just had to put that out there a minute. I mean, I've got, I've got conflicting thoughts about that because I do agree with you ultimately. I am all about those people who do business well. And it's why it's the one reason why I actually really quite like Cody Rhodes because I think he has absolutely aced the business side of the business in terms of, as I say, going from being the lowest ebb he could possibly have been at in AEW, getting to himself into the best position he possibly could have been at in WWE. That is some excellent business that he's doing. So I love that. But I also understand why fans don't like it when they know a wrestler doesn't love the business, because that's not very inspiring. That's the thing. That's not a particularly inspiring thing from your your big stars. If they don't really love this thing, don't get me wrong. I don't mind in the cold light of day that they don't love it. But it's nice to think they do, because that's more inspiring, isn't it? You know, as you're watching somebody do this thing, it's nice to think that they really love it, because that is much more romantic than this guy just shows up and does his job. So I kind of understand why fans don't like that. In The Rock's case, I just think, as I say, he just always did business. And I just think that the he did business the right way, conducted himself the right way. You've never heard anything bad about The Rock. The Rock is a guy that came in, did his work, got out, kept his body in a decent shape, didn't fucking kill himself doing this thing like so many of his peers did, used it to create another career, lucrative career elsewhere, and then still comes back. The Rock, by the way, does love the business. You know he yeah, loves he does. the business. You can tell. And and so this is that, that doesn't even apply in his case. And I just think anybody who wants to take a shot at him for whatever, I, it's just stupid. Because in my view, nobody has done the things that people want wrestlers to do more than The Rock in the mm. sense of putting people over, putting people over on the way out, doing the right things, always being a good ambassador for the sport. In everything he's done, he has at no point done things that what people claim they want from their wrestlers. He's done everything that they want. Match, I'm giving a kind of four star. I, I There's something about it that just lacks for me. And I'm not usually, I'm not the guy usually who would be worried about needing great moves or anything. Bloody match fetishist, Matt, uh, Ben. Yeah, I like know. It's it, terrible, yeah. isn't it? I'm not that guy. But I, I, there's another thing I was thinking about that, Stephen, actually, because I realized when we were talking about the sort of what makes a good match and everything, or who the best in-ring wrestler is, sorry. I feel like the argument, though, is a little bit slanted before we even get going, because there's an assumption that a in-ring quality is all about work rate and technical proficiency and i don't think that's true and that's where i think the argument's a bit strange because you're thinking about in-ring quality as being about work rate and technical quality i think there's loads of other stuff that does count towards what an in-ring quality is do you know so what i mean so so yeah. even in that sense, like I was just like I was I was really thinking about it afterwards. I was like, I still don't think we fully match up in what in-ring quality is because because I know and I've done it myself. When I talk about in-ring quality occasionally, I realize, but I'm only talking about these two elements. Mm. I'm not thinking about everything else. And I think, for example, being a draw is part of in-ring quality. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, it's, it's not in- separate from it. It's not a separate attribute. It's part of it. No, I agree. It's interesting because I was thinking about this during the Stardom show last weekend, which I, well, last weekend when we were recording this, which I absolutely loved. But, in, and I was thinking, if this was just two girls that I didn't know at all, would I have such an emotional connection to this? But the two matches I really loved was, uh, and I won't go into too much detail, but Saya Kamatani and Minister Shirakawa had a match, their kind of number two title. It was a really simple story around the champion being a bit nervous and worried to hit a big move and they, they and the, the other 
one and never won the big one. And it was like this really incredible, but all the technical stuff and it, all the selling, all the all the full finishes. But the story was there, and so was it in the in the, in the main event, which kind of had a bit of a shocking finish with the underdog winning the world title for the first time. And I was thinking, actually, at the at the zenith, if you showed me Kenny Omega and Vikingo on dynamite i can really enjoy that and i loved it there's no build-up but the zenith has got to be everything it's got to be investment in characters it's got to be story and it's got to be the the best wrestling you can then and perhaps the zenith doesn't have to be the absolute best best wrestling but it's got to be a conglomeration of all that rather than just one part for me i think i've always felt like the main attribute that he makes a great in-ring product is investment in the result yeah the, 100%, the rest of it 100%. the rest of it doesn't really matter ultimately be and you've given this a five star and it's not the best wrestling in it's no. not in any way but it's the investment in what's happening that yeah. makes it that way but i i don't i just don't have that same investment i was i was kind of like it doesn't really matter who wins or loses i think is is my problem with it at the end it doesn't really matter because they this is more about the hogan is a star again show and i think that's the other problem for me is that hogan wasn't even a star that's what really pisses me off. By this point, nobody wanted to watch Hogan. Like when I say by this point, before this point, go back to WCW 99, 2000. He couldn't draw a lick. Nobody no. wanted to fucking watch him. He was fucking done. He was no longer a star. Suddenly he is. And I was just like, oh, fuck off. Don't want, I just don't want Hogan here. I just don't want him anywhere near this product. And it's, it's the other thing for me is it's not nostalgic for me. I wasn't a, a fan during the Hogan era. So I'm like in WWF anyway. So I was like, this isn't for me. This isn't even nostalgic. So it, it it's a great match, but it, it doesn't for me hit that sort of top tier of matches. Wow, we've gone all around the houses, and that is the last match. There's just one or two other bits I wanted to say. We've got Howard Finkel announcing that WrestleMania has set a new Skydome record of 68,237 fans, and it's apparently sponsored by. Did I get this right? Eatsa Pizza. They... Oh no, Pizza Pizza. Pizza Pizza. Okay, yeah. fine. And then the last thing I want to say was uh, there's then some footage of WWF New York and Big Show is in the house looking like a homeless man. <laughs> Holding up someone's kid. He's a he's a yeah. someone's child, yeah. I'm just like, fucking hell. Talk about how the mighty have fallen. The Big yeah. Show, three years or whatever it was before, they're signing the fucking biggest deal in WWF history. Here he is, not on the card, not even in the fucking stadium. They've chucked him back down in New York to be in their restaurant so that they can have somebody there. And he's looking like he hadn't shaved in five years and he looked very unkempt and just generally like oh god what, what's happened to you big show you know he, he used that as a promo as well to be fair I, I think the line was something on the lines of i was in a restaurant picking your ugly kids up trying to pretend to have a good time <laughs> oh that's good no fair enough then if he turned lemon in lemonade i'm all up for that well done to mm. him we do have one more point, sorry. The hardcore title still going. Cele uh, Christian celebrating as he escapes the stadium with uh, a taxi on, on uh, 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 ordered. He's got the hardcore title over his uh, shoulder, but then just before he gets in the taxi, Maven sneaks up from behind him, pins him, and then escapes in the taxi himself. Christian again throws a tantrum. <laughs> Loved it. What a way to finish our recap of the show. So it's on to scores out of 10, MVP, match of the night. I think we're all pretty clear what match of the night is, but anyway, we'll go there. Matt, why don't we start with you? Yeah, let's start with the shockingly obvious match of the night, Hogan Rock. MVP of the night, do you know Due to how he handled what for many might have been a difficult situation, I'm giving The Rock the MVP of the night for this, for handling the, the whole thing with just a ridiculous amount of class. Overall score for the show, ooh. 
I, I stand by we, you know, what I said at the start, that this was a one-match show. And how much is that worth to carry the whole thing? Ugh. I think I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to go with four out of ten. Steven? I thought, actually, this show was quite a bit better than I remember it, actually, overall. As you said, Matt, 100%, 100% um, MVP is The Rock for how he dealt with the main event. Rock and Hogan is match of the night. The, the main event did drag it down a bit, and it was an ordeal to sit through. But I am going six out of ten for WrestleMania 18. Um, I think this was, as a show, there was there was enough in the rest of it and Hogan Rock is one you know one of the best best moments matches in company history so yeah a lot of that is for that and that was the real main event as well it certainly was the real main event I wonder whether or not WWE when they considered it to be the real main event because obviously now all the you know all kind of images for example on the network everything about when you hear write-ups of the show it's treated as if it is the main event but did they think that at any point before the show I wonder and also I wonder whether or not Triple H would allow them to think of anything else as the main event because he was so determined that this would be his year. I'm giving it a six out of 10 as well, because I do think actually on balance, there's enough stuff here. Like the the Rock Hogan match is, is sensational. I think Undertaker Flair is a really decent match. I think the opener is pretty good too. The main event's not great at all, but it's, it's okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's an okay match. It just doesn't have any interest from the crowd whatsoever. I thought it was overall not a bad show and I'm giving it six out of 10. My match tonight is obviously the Rock versus Hogan. My MVP though I'm giving to Jim Ross I think this was one of those nights where Jim Ross desperately was required to do his job as well as he could possibly do it mainly because first of all that match between Hogan and Rock is not going to rely just on they aren't relying on what they're doing in the ring, right? It needs that commentary to also add to an overall great atmosphere and experience. Then, though, the work he does during the main event, just to basically fool himself as much as he tries to do, that it matters in any way, shape or form, is really impressive. And he is absolutely giving it the same treatment as he would give Austin beating The Rock in the main event of WrestleMania 15. He absolutely does everything he can to make it seem like in a moment where Triple H is taking the the throne as the top star in the company having won the title it's not true but he does a great job of trying to sell it and so i give him so much credit for that he's my mvp so i just want to see where that puts wrestlemania 18 on our list of wrestlemanias now because it's definitely above wrestlemania 2000 you'll be pleased to know okay so wrestlemania 18 is above 7 6 16 12 1 9 4 11 and 2 um but below 13 5 8 15 14 3 10 and and it's also below 19 um and 17 17 currently the highest rated show we've ever covered this is some way below that as you might imagine <laughs> shocking um yeah quite, quite a shock but there you go yeah similar sort of rating as the WrestleMania 7 this one got for us so that's kind of where it is at the moment in the wider context of WrestleManias. That's all of our business done for today. So, Matt, thank you for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure, uh, gentlemen, as always. And do you know what? I hope that as soon as this show finishes, to play us out, you give us some lovely drowning pool. <laughs> Stephen, thank you for your contributions as well. Thank you. Pleasure as always. We will be back again next week with our repost of WrestleMania 19, which we covered two years ago. And then in two weeks' time, it will be WrestleMania 20 and the emotional baggage of having to watch Chris Benoit celebrate at the end of the show. Very interesting to see what the network has got of it as well, how much they cut out of that one. Until then, take care.